every Friday night after the League of Ireland games, a place for you to come to give your opinion to Ben. There's a little button down on the left-hand corner where you can say that you want to talk. Catch League of Ireland late night, Friday nights at 10 on Twitter Spaces. Follow at Off The Ball. OTB AM. With Gillette, put your best face forward with our new and improved razors. It's half past seven, it's Friday morning, you're very welcome along to OTB AM. We're with you until 10 this morning, we've loads of sport to get into. Owen, how are you getting on? Good, Adrian. What's the crack? Oh, good. Uh, it's f- t- grim, really, this morning, and uh, the bad news continues from Ukraine. We we'll, um, wanted to talk a little b- bit about it off the top um, because it's so closely associated with sport, and the uh, Ukraine, Ukraine president has been up front of the media this morning to say that 137 people, civilians and um, military, have been killed in the first day of the Russian attack. Um, and indications now and certainly those informed sources from there uh, saying that Russia's aim here is to try and and overthrow the Ukraine government. So that'll give you a bit of an indication as to where this thing is headed. Uh, Ukraine saying multiple more bombings um, again overnight. Uh, Everybody's social media feed is is full of very grim video and reports coming from the country. It's, um, yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to watch on and uh, you couldn't imagine what it would be like to actually be in the middle of it. Um, and that desperate sound, we've we've heard it all uh, on our news reports as well, that desperate sound of the air raids ringing out across the cities and um, around the countryside, around Ukraine as well. We really uh, have them in our thoughts this morning. It's It must be very tough. And the world watches on and we're seemingly helpless, um, I guess, to do anything. It's the first major ground war uh, in Europe in decades. Helpless and still. Um, and for anyone who says that sport and politics is no place in the same room, and I absolutely no doubt that we're going to get umpteen comments on the back of this saying that uh, stick to the sport, lads. Um, but I think we just have to raise the topic this morning. Don't look away now because like sport has paid a big part in getting us to the position that we're at at the minute. You can't disconnect sport and uh, in facilitating the actions of a regime who uh, have been on the record say that they thought that Lenin made a big mistake in giving away, as they put it, um, disconnecting that old Russian network of independent, now sovereign countries um, in the region. And you can't disconnect uh, the role that sport has played in making this uh, the events of this week come to a head. And sport very much feels like the Trojan horse, I think, in a lot of ways, of um, despots like Putin... Um, there isn't any amount of well we'll just go out and play there because it'll help grow the game of golf in a country of 40 million people and 14 golf courses in Saudi Arabia like we'll help grow the game of golf feels a little bit trite in that context and like it's a very similar dynamic that's happening in in other countries and, and Russia is certainly a case of that Um 35 million people, you know, and you can't wash that away. It just that that sort of rhetoric any longer. We can't stand for it. as a sporting public. I think we have to draw a line in the sand. I think when you look at the likes of Newcastle, you look at the likes of Chelsea now, Manchester United have an association with Aeroflot, Schalke, if you do a bit of research, and we'll talk about it a little bit later on, we're one of the first clubs, if not the first to be sponsored by Gazprom, for example. Uh, the TV companies who are obliged to show Gazprom sponsorships during their Champions League matches, we can't look away now. We have to question ourselves. Um, we have to face up to it. Do we continue to turn a blind eye to sports washing or do we demand a bit better? And it isn't someone else's problem. That's the reality for us now. Our own football association are part of an organisation uh, as part of the wider football family that we're constantly told about. We've facilitated cosy relationships between Russia 
and the football family around Europe and I know that the FAI CEO Jonathan Hill um, posted a tweet yesterday never mind matches to be played or not all our thoughts at the moment are with our football friends in U- in the Ukraine Russia and across Europe and the wider UEFA family be safe please he said I've absolutely no doubt that it was well intentioned but a little bit tone deaf since deleted and I do think that we can't turn our eyes away from what's going on at the minute we can't turn our eyes away from our responsibility to those people who are under attack and UEFA saying yesterday Owen I don't know if you saw it I'm sure you were following events um, they will closely monitor Gazprom's uh, sponsorship of the Champions League and it just feels like we're closely monitoring a horse that has long since bolted mm. like I mean it's if like it's uh, nobody needs to be told that it's an unbelievably grim situation but it is uh, borderline hilarious the response from some of the, the sports bodies in terms of how predictable it was like I mean it's like we're we're safe in the numbers that we have today lads because everybody's coming out condemning this sort of stuff we are not going to be impacted one little bit if you come out today and in fact uh, sitting on the hands for as long as possible is going to be an interesting tactic over the next little while because there's no doubt that football in particular is going to try and sit in its hands for a little while so that sweet sweet Gazprom cash may come flowing in eventually one day so that, that's the ideal situation for football make no bones about it I mean they will say that you know the lives of the Ukrainians is, is what's paramount to them it's not it's the it's the, the cash that, that comes in from Gazprom as a huge sponsor over the next little while and that's just football for me the most hilarious response yesterday was was the IOC uh, coming out obviously uh, the, the great lads in terms of the Olympic movement uh, they came out Thomas Bach uh, was part of a statement and they came out to strongly condemn the breach of the Olympic truce yesterday so I mean I, I can't believe a country has invaded another one uh, given that the Olympic truce uh, exists uh, what the hell the Olympic truce is we might come back to that in just a second but they said following recent events the IOC is deeply concerned about the safety of the Olympic community in Ukraine it has established a task force to closely monitor the situation and to coordinate humanitarian assistance to members of the Olympic community in Ukraine where possible so they're obviously uh, shocked and appalled by what's going on at the moment. This news breaking this week that Russia may not be a, a sound bunch of lads. Let's forget the fact that 2008, an Olympic Games year, was the year Russia invaded Georgia. Let's forget 2014, a, a Winter Games year, also in, in Russia, where Russia annexed Crimea. This, this is all new news for, for the IOC. The Olympic truce was only broken yesterday. Of course, that forced them to come out and act. Uh, as I mentioned, Thomas Bach is part of the statement. He, uh, and a quote from their statement, uh, he re- reiterates his call for peace, which he expressed in his speeches at the opening ceremony and closing ceremony of the Olympic Games, held in China just uh, a couple of weeks ago. At the opening ceremony, he called on the political authorities, observe your commitment to this Olympic truce, give peace a chance. At the closing ceremony in China, uh, he asked the political leaders to be inspired by the example of solidarity and peace set by the Olympic athletes. And if you're not aware that Olympic Games took place in China, which was very funny indeed that that he'd be coming out saying this sort of stuff now because three days before the closing ceremony, and we did cover this on Monday's show, uh, we had the Beijing spokesperson Yan Jirong dismissing claims of human rights abuses. First off, she called them lies. Uh, And then she also said, what I want to say is that there is only one China in the world. Taiwan is an indivisible part of China and this is well-recognised international principle and well-recognised in the international community. And just a quick reminder of what one China is. The one China principle is the position held by China that there is only one sovereign state under the name China and Taiwan is a part of China as opposed to the idea that there are two states. I mean, that's the first time I've heard something like that, that one state believes that another state is part of it by some God-given right. So I'm sure time will judge uh, the, the Olympics very, very well in terms of their dealing with China over the last little while and that no other Olympic truces are going to be broken.
Yeah. Um, there is a definition online, by the way, if anybody's interested on Olympics.com of what the Olympics choose is, and it goes all the way back to ancient Greece. So, uh, Go on, what is it? Is there, yeah, you, like, can you give us the cliff notes of it? Yeah. There's two paragraphs. So, the tradition of the Olympic truce uh, was established in ancient Greece in the 9th century BC through the signing of a treaty between three kings, Ephetos of Elis, Cleosthenes of Pisa, and Lycurgus of Sparta to allow safe participation in the ancient Olympic Games for all athletes and spectators from these Greek city-states which were otherwise almost constantly engaged in conflict with each other. Taking into account the new political reality in which sport and the Olympic Games exist, the IOC decided to revive the concept of the Olympic truce for the Olympic Games with a view to protecting as far as possible the interests of the athletes and sport in general and to harness the power of sport to promote peace, dialogue and and reconciliation more broadly. Um, that uh, really hits home this morning. Read those out to Ukrainians. They would feel a hell of a lot better about themselves this morning if they knew that that exists because that will come and save you guys. It's bunkum and and uh, like entirely out of touch, which is really the theme, I think, of everything this morning. And like there are those associations that we've mentioned, like the various clubs, Manchester United and Airflot, much more directly, Newcastle United, uh, much more directly, Chelsea Football Club over the last 20 odd years. And like, I just think that there is, it's a moment for us all to, fans of those clubs, to don't turn away now. Like, now is not the time to say the thing that we've said for the last 15 or 20 years. Oh, look at, you know, we just got to, we got to grin and bear this. This is the new reality. Um, and, and we can't look away now. And like, I point to the fact as well that overnight uh, I've read this morning Saudi Arabia um, obviously with their Newcastle United links and other multiple other investments in world sport and particularly in golf um, who last night along with the United Arab Emirates have dropped bombs on Yemen and like so this is something that is a very real thing and that it's not something that we can really any longer um, turn our back on it and uh, I the Olympic aspect of it is interesting to me in the sense that I maybe feel that at some point or another we all felt guided by this Olympic not necessarily the Olympic truth because I'm not going to lie to you it's the first time I've ever heard those uh, those words combined but the Olympic spirit or an Olympic connection as some sort of an a, a ethereal governing governance right that like it was a touchstone for sport to know that everything was right with the world when and, when they, and they fed off each other but this is this this is me projecting i think the world that a lot of the people who govern sport operate in you know they, it's the world in which they can sit down with companies <laughs> like gazprom yes, exactly. and sign along the dotted line and then leave and go well we're doing right by world sport here we're better off inside the tent <laughs> uh, pissing out than the other way around True. and it's going to allow us to speak to the people of Saudi Arabia in a way that we will help bring freedom freedom, freedom to them and I think that um, actually what's clear to me now is that individual sports can't and actually can't any longer be allowed to govern themselves because when the men in trench coats turn up the door with big bags of catch they just can't help themselves they just can't say no. And there probably needs to be some sort of an overarching uh, governing body that is totally detached from any w- one of the organisations and certainly detached from any profit-making aspect to it who need to be the watchdog. It's There needs to be something... To, UEFA need to be able to answer to somebody. FIFA need to be able to answer to somebody. Uh, world Golf needs to be able to answer to somebody. This is the new world order that we live in that wasn't... Uh, I'm 
I say it wasn't, there's probably a caveat there somewhere, but it certainly wasn't as necessary 20, 30, 50 years ago. But in 2022, is it not blindingly obvious that sport, individual sports, bodies and associations or unions can't be trusted to govern themselves? Look, I mean, it's a, it's an interesting point. I mean, it's it has been like what what's going to happen next is going to be very interesting. I, I don't think what you say, unfortunately, is ever going to uh, manifest itself in reality. I think you're you're uh, who who instigates that? Who who is the the first person to say we would like to relinquish all of our power? Um, but it's it, it's true what you say. Like there there is definitely this sense of uh, you know we are holier than thou in terms mm. of uh, like the Olympic movement or or even to a certain degree football and uh, sport as a power for good is is a very interesting concept and uh, they feel that they get a free pass in some yeah. things as, as a result of that so like I mean there, there are just the thing is it's so easy to come up with examples of times when all this was just turned a blind eye to and so many of them are in recent years and you can throw the obvious uh, examples out regarding Russia the World Cup in 2018 mm. Sochi in, in, in 2014 this year's World Cup this year's uh, Winter Games it, it does feel that more and more uh, th- these uh, these events are, are, are tinged with just an element of of, of a grim blanket really and, and that's what we're dealing with whether or not sport will do anything to, to act I'm not convinced yesterday was a very easy bandwagon to hop on wasn't mm. it? Yeah, uh, and ultimately you're probably right, but we just couldn't start the show this morning without, we didn't want to look away this morning is the point, and we also wanted to show you this, it was Associated Press Global Sports reporter Rob Harris has been doing brilliant work um, in his conversations with particularly uh, the FIFA president Gianna, Gianni Infantino over the last couple of weeks. Um, here he was yesterday, it was a, it was a FIFA press conference, uh, Rob Harris asking Infantino if he's going to retain the Order of Friendship Medal, which was given to him by Vladimir Putin um, in the last few years and if he did any regrets about praising uh, Putin so strongly in recent years. Will you be retaining your Order of Friendship Medal uh, that you received from Vladimir Putin after the 2018 World Cup? And in light of all the developments that have happened now, do you have any regrets about the 2018 World Cup, your glowing endorsements of Vladimir Putin and his conduct? because they had already annexed Crimea at that point in 2014. And there have been concerns raised, particularly in the British government, that sport does help to legitimise the actions of a country like Russia when it acts aggressively towards a neighbour. So will you be reflecting on perhaps the role of sport and how it can help to embolden a leader like Vladimir Putin in taking action, as it has done aggressively in Ukraine? Thanks, uh, thanks, Rob. Uh, we are constantly um, reflecting on uh, on the role of sport, um, in particular the role of sport in trying to uh, to bring people together in a in a peaceful environment. Even people, countries who don't uh, uh, have relations with each other or who are in a conflict with each other. Um, this is uh, a constant in our thinking. And uh, I firmly believe in, uh, uh, in sport to bring people together. F- football is the people's sport as well. It's not about individuals, it's about all the people from all over the world. And honestly, today, right today, if we had this press conference yesterday, maybe I would say something else, I don't know, but today my thoughts are really on uh, all the people who are affected by this um, escalating conflict, uh, 
and uh, and nothing else. Yes, the FIFA president, Jenny Infantino, under questioning there from uh, Rob Harris and an interesting response in and of itself. We'll keep you across events as they happen during the day. If you have any thoughts um, about any of that stuff we've been discussing, please do fire them into us over the course of the morning. We'll uh, bring them to our audience. The other thing that we wanted to briefly mention, we've run out of Gary, by the way, coming up very shortly. We're going to talk to him about the uh, game at the weekend, his own experiences against Italy, the uh, possible team news, by the way, that's um, been delivered as tends to be sort of par for the course now, really, under, under Andy Farrell, that mm. team's tend to be revealed fairly accurately to the media we should say it's still possible it's, it's possible still, yeah, but we're, they're we're generally fairly accurate oh yeah, yeah, like we generally put them together on a Friday morning and then make hay with the responses of them over the afternoon post the team being named but this is what it looks like this is according to Jerry Thornley and it's pretty much in the Irish Times it's pretty much um, reflected in most of the other media outlets as well uh, online uh, and in the papers across the morning um, back three Hugo Keenan, uh, Mac Hanson and James Lowe. There was some uh, reports that uh, Michael Lowry might get the 15 shirt in some of the other media outlets today. Gary Ringrose and Robbie Henshaw uh, back in the midfield. Carberry and Gibson Park again in uh, out half, fly, uh, out half uh, scrum half. Uh, Porter, Sheehan and Furlong across the front. Um, the Sheehan one being somewhat enforced. Uh, Tyke Byrne and James Ryan, obviously somewhat enforced there as well in the second row. And Peter Romani's into the back row alongside Josh van der Fleer and uh, Kellen Doris. So it is interesting. Uh, the Lowry one, um, according to uh, Jerry Thornley, at least Lowry isn't even on the bench. And according to some outlets, he's going to start fullback. So that's the one that probably just we'll need to wait and see. But the Carberry one is obviously the headline news out of it. Um, and bit of a no-brainer like I'm sure Johnny Sexton's been knocking the door down to say put me in coach uh, we've got England in a couple of weeks I need to get a bit of match sharpness but like I think it was the thing that had to happen yeah, I think we all presumed Sexton was going to start didn't we because he was up for media earlier this week does it change because you're captain Seamus Coleman asked somebody to give Seamus Coleman a shout yeah and I guess he was in the, the captain mould as well I think so. so I think uh, if I think, well, the, I, I presume Andy Farrell has been running drills this week with uh, Carberry at, at 10, if that's the way he's going. I presume that you'd give him the week to let himself settle into it in a way that maybe he didn't have last week. I know it was a point that was made earlier, a good point that was made earlier on the show, um, earlier in the week, but yeah, I don't know if that's got any impact on it. I think uh, it'll be interesting to see for him from the off. And like the thing is, it'll be a different, we'll put it to Ronan a little bit, but like different dynamic for him against a team like Italy like geez he must be licking his chops I know he was talking to you lads was it last Monday or Tuesday whenever it was last week Yeah, and he was saying that he was like relishing the game against France and all that but I mean it's a different beast when you're going in against Italy and you'd be, expect Ireland to be dominant across the park like as an out half you must be thinking oh yeah let me add it it's a, and it's a strong pack in front of them as well so Carby will really get a chance to show what he can do it's just a strong team I think it's a team that is picked as much for the here and now as it is for, for development, of course. If you have someone like Larry or Hume coming in and getting meaningful minutes, and whoever's on the bench is going to get meaningful minutes, especially in that back line if, if Ireland have the bonus point early. So there is an element of that, but at the same time you look at Peter O'Mahony coming in, you look at, at Henshaw coming in, it's a, it's, a, it's a team that's trying to get its seasoned veterans in inverted commas maybe you could call O'Mahony a veteran not so much Henshaw veteran, get, get, yeah. to, get them up to that sort of level before Twickenham you know I think that's probably what the, the team she tells us as opposed to one eye on what may happen at the end of next year yeah I mean uh, look fair enough it'll be interesting Hanson and Lowe in the, in the same team like how exciting is that like very exciting and I think that maybe when, when 
things kind of play out over the next while they could be fighting for one shirt but maybe not maybe maybe we read too much into who's a left winger who's a who's a right winger and they can maybe both step off both feet and that's totally fine and yeah you want somebody like a Conway though who's I get geez, to be fair to Conway I mean when we reflect on Andrew Conway's career it's, he's crept under the radar with about 115 caps and a load of tries and like a he gets he gets nearly beaten down by the fact that he's such a solid performer and that's not to do an injustice to the fact that he's like he's a good attacking threat he's really strong in defence he's a very different player from the other two lads it'd be hard to see that like I think that every coach on some level needs an Andrew Conway in the team <laughs> it sounds like I'm being critical of him I'm not he's created an incredible career um you can see even when Earls comes back I mean he'll definitely be in with a shout so like what I wonder is that I, I, I think in, on the wings and maybe to a certain degree elsewhere in the back line you're just at a greater risk of getting dropped for one of these games and there is more room for experimentation in these positions whereas in the pack for example there's obviously set piece there's uh, there's an element of the, the tried and trusted yeah uh, alright it's 7.50 it's Friday morning you're watching OTBAM we're with you until 10 this morning and we're brought to you by Gillette good morning start with Gillette put your best face forward with the new and improved razors here's what's happening uh, over the course of the morning for you uh, Ronan Agar is standing by live on the line we'll talk to him in just a moment and get the uh, considered thoughts on uh, what we think is going to be the team for this weekend uh, Professor T- Simon Chadwick is going to try and make sense of the conversation we were having a little bit earlier about uh, events in Ukraine and the Russian attack and uh, the geopolitics versus economics of aspect of it a very informed voice and uh, really looking forward to getting his thoughts in about 20 minutes or thereabouts our GA quick picks at half past 8 this morning the table I think makes fairly grim reading for many of us today and we'll uh, we'll get our thoughts on what we think are going to happen from the big games this weekend uh, as well Alan Quinlan more preview of the game at the weekend 10 to 9 this morning live crappy quiz myself versus Nathan versus Jer at 10 past 9 and then uh, more of that Ireland-Italy preview uh, to come your way from, I think it was Fiona Hayes and Liam Toland on with Nathan last night. So that'll be at half past nine this morning. So that's where we're at. A very good morning to you, wherever it is you're at. And do please, there are plenty of comments coming into us about uh, the conversation we were having earlier. And do please keep them coming in about that or anything else that might be on your mind. But uh, in the meantime, Ronald Agarra, good morning to you. Hi, Adrian. How are you? Good morning. Good morning to you. Yeah, all good. Um, the poss- yeah. possible. But weather's got better. The first few days of summer feels like. So Has it? <laughs> yeah, it's what's it's like twenty five degrees down there, is it? And sort of you no, know, t-shirt no, no, weather. No, no. You can can be happy with twelve or thirteen degrees at the minute, can't you? Any, deg- any degrees? It feels like it's been we've been in storm something or other here for but the last three or four weeks. It's absolutely cat. Yeah, yeah. Well, we got a bit of that last week, but this week now Tuesday was probably the first day where it doesn't get dark till. Uh, maybe quarter to seven and uh, sun, sunshine in the morning makes a big difference yeah yeah. we haven't seen the sunshine here in ages Ronan saw sure send us a bit of it we could do with it um, possible team named across some of the papers today some debate about whether it'll be I know Jerry Thornley the Irish Times says Hugo Keenan at full back some debate about whether there might actually be Michael Lowry but the big uh, talking point all week last couple, 10 days has been whether we were chatting about it last uh, Friday morning about whether Joey Carberry would get the nod at Italy and you were talking about the building blocks last week and it looks like he's going to keep rolling them out yeah I, absolutely I think um, the most important thing here was that it was going to be um, after the French game like with the Italian game I think it's the one game in the Six Nations where people were as a coach or 
um, as as a management group, you you can experiment to a certain extent. And with the other opposition, you can't do that. So this is the game where uh, I think you can make widespread changes. Um, whether you do that or not is up for debate. But um, I think what happens, and I suppose in Camp Ireland at the minute, is that you have serious competition for places. So yeah, you want to probably keep a bit of stability, but also I think what you're looking to achieve is uh, when you have that, I suppose, uh, without doing much, uh, people fighting for the jersey without the coaching group really uh, realising that. And that's what's happening. So uh, for me, I was looking at it, you could play a number of different combinations, a number of different teams, but I think the top 40 players who play uh, or get an opportunity to play this weekend will be very performing because of the environment they've created. So, um, I mean, probably looking at the, uh, my initial reaction from looking at the teams or potential teams was that uh, I expected a lot more changes, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Mm. But, um, you know, I think, um, like, yeah, I've read articles and I've read debate about winning the Six Nations, but the, like winning the Grand Slam is 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 probably what the big thing is. I, I think, uh, you know, if you if you win four or five games and you have developed a lot of talent and found out a lot more about people that you didn't know before the Six Nations, that is a far better situation with a World Cup in mind than playing your strongest 13, 14, 15 every game for five games. And then uh, it seems to be very short-term view. Uh, but Six Nations is a fantastic competition. But I think where we are with probably previous disappointments in World Cups is that uh, the World Cup seems to be the focus. And it probably is uh, easy to explain that in the number 10 position if there was a World Cup final tomorrow Johnny Sexton would start it isn't it's 18 months away uh, Joey Carberry did well in France uh, Johnny Sexton isn't really going to get better uh, and can Joey Carberry get better to an extent that you have two viable options in that position tight head prop uh, out half um, who's the second 15 at the minute uh, there's huge competition in the centre and the wings and the yeah. back row but I suppose you could probably, I probably thought there might be one back row kept and, and have a look at two others, maybe one second row, have a look at. Uh, but it seems to be that they're probably going for uh, a lot of experience with one or two changes. Yeah, and Henderson, some of them have forced, obviously, and Henderson seems to have COVID as well, and that rules him out, maybe another couple of changes off the back of it. What... Um, from what you know of Sexton, is he knocking on the door this week going, listen, I want to, we've England in two weeks, I want to get in, I need the game time, or is he just understanding of all those points that you've just made? No, that's it. It couldn't be further apart, I suppose. I was just thinking about it. If, if there was, if I was Johnny Sexton, the player, and now I have an understanding of what, what the management side of, side of the game looks like, it could not be poles apart in, in your uh, in your mental mindset you know the competitor as a player is like you don't care about anyone else by yourself you do care about the team because you're the captain but you're a vicious competitor and you want you want to play every game this thing about building for the world cup is is nonsense in your head because for you it's if if i'm the best player in the country i deserve to play at the weekend and that and that's that's perfectly acceptable from the player's point of view what you're looking to do from a coaching group or or a, a um a leadership point of view is that if, for example, uh, 
f- you know, uh, Furlong, Doris, um, and Sexton get sick or injured or stuck in a lift the morning of of a World Cup qualifying. What do you do? Mm. So there's no point in finding out uh, on that on that day uh, and the way you, I suppose you upskill other players that aren't as good as your world-class players is they get better by more minutes they've played and get more competition for places and in a certain case with Johnny I suppose it's just it's just the age profile what will he be like in 18 months time yeah so, so it does seem that the team picked this weekend is is kind of more about the now then like I mean you can argue Carberry either way but if the team that we're seeing is, is going to be the one announced like it is the likes of Henshaw coming in Peter O'Mahony coming in uh, th- that is quite a short term look as if it, it, Italy and, and getting those four wins is all important yeah but I suppose like if I think if the, the like the, the if you played uh a so-called A against B game in in Carton House uh, tomorrow between the the forty best players in Ireland, uh, it would be a very interesting exercise because you wouldn't be too sure sure how it goes. You'd obviously expect a team with with Furlong and Sexton and Doris and uh, uh, Keane and 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 uh, and that to win and James Ryan and those kind of people. But I think uh, sometimes we underestimate. Uh, the difference between, uh, or we overestimate the difference between uh, the starters and and the potential replacements. Sometimes there's very little between it, and you're better judged by being in camp, be able to give that that opinion. Like we don't know where Hume's limit is, we don't know where Balakum's limit is, we don't know where Lowry's limit is, we don't know, uh, for example, where. Um, Coombs' limit is so all these people um, I suppose need to be seen but I, I, I thought the game to be seen a bit of me would say well will they get a real test against Italy because I thought the example with Hansen in the Wales game was brilliant because uh, you mean Wales are a proven established test nation I'm not saying Italy aren't but at the minute it's 2015 is the last time they've won a game so you would like to think, and I know sport is hugely unpredictable, that uh, in this regard, uh, you're not really fretting over results. You're more interested in fretting over over um, a performance. And what we saw, actually, with the benefit of hindsight from the Stade de France, was uh, it's easy to understand Farrell when he's talking about the inaccuracies because, obviously, when you're standing up uh, behind the goalpost in a... In a in an average seat, uh, you miss a lot. So when you review the game, you could see what he was saying, that he's frustrated, I think, with, I suppose, skill set errors. There was one or two structure errors in attack where people were missing their roles. But I think from a skill set point of view, um, you mean passing, hitting shoulders as opposed to out in front, one or two uh, average kicks, uh, one or two, I suppose, knock-ons. Like That's five or six releases of pressure for France all of a sudden, which... Uh, when Ireland, with their capacity to play very accurately, um, they'll be disappointed with that. Can you find out that that limit that you mentioned there about Lowry and Hume in Carton House, or does it need to be starting a Six Nations game? And, and if so, is there something of an opportunity missed in this campaign if those players don't get starts? No, I don't know because obviously, too, uh, you know, I think otherwise. On there's 
there's a I suppose when you when you create uh, values and bonds and relationships in your squad, you, you need to have a certain uh, standard to 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 probably get the opportunity to to wear that jersey. We're not aware on the outside what what they are, so there's huge competition to play for Ireland, and you probably have to be of a certain quality to get to get that jersey. I think. You mean I've played with a lot of guys that were brilliant trainers but couldn't transfer it to game day. So, you know, you can't really see. You get a good indication in training, but the ultimate is um, what happens for the 80 minutes because you got to remember, too, a lot of guys uh, thrive on contact. Contact scenarios are very limited Monday to Friday because of you have to manage your players and the contact load. But guys excel in the game, for example, Hume... You know, I think would be better in a game than in training because for me, he he likes to take people on. Uh, but that safety net is, or from a defending point of view, is that it becomes two-handed touch in training or, or, or kind of body in front. So you don't really see, see the best of him. You know, Andrew Trimble would be an example of that. He's better in a game than he is in training because his physicality is probably better than his skill set. Uh, you know I mean, it's the same with... Uh, Bundyaki, it's the same with Henshaw. Yeah, when we were talking last week, Ronan, about uh, Carberry and maybe areas that he needed to improve, you were talking about stuff like uh, square at the line, second touch and attack, and pushing teams around a bit more from the boot. Like, he's got a big possibility this weekend to uh, tick a lot of boxes in that front and come out of it with great confidence and suddenly look very at home in that team. Yeah, he has, but it's always work in progress too, Adrian. You know, I think uh, it was fantastic, I suppose, for his uh, his mental confidence, his performance in France, because considering the start, it could have gone it could have gone ugly. And then, I suppose, considering what they did, Ireland were probably disappointed at times that they didn't finish uh maybe as well as they'd like to have finished. Uh, from Joy's individual point of view, he looked very good in a lot of lot of the components. But I think I probably we were probably uh, what's the, we were probably generous in our appraisal and the fact that we understood he had very little rugby in, in the bank. I think he'd be judged a little bit more harshly going forward and that's rightly so because of, of, of I suppose we the potential the guy offers and uh, how, how good he can be. But that's that's step one. I think what would be great from his point of view, if he's getting the minimum, uh, you know, I mean, of fifty minutes, thirty minutes every test match for the next ten, 10 tests, because, um, you know, I, I suppose the interesting thing for for this uh, game would be, uh, is it Carty on the bench? You presume it is Carty on the bench, but you look at a few potential teams. It could be Johnny Sexton on the bench. So, mm. um, what would you do? Um, I would tell Johnny to take a rest. <laughs> <laughs> you had to think about that. <laughs> that's an awkward yeah, conversation. I know, the, I know the competitor he is, you yeah. know. So that's but like that's that's yeah. You know I mean, that's that's what you want. Told your top players, you want them ratty with you. You want them uh, very physical, and you want them. Uh, frustrated if you're making decision, but there's only one boss who can make that call and that's what you've got to do. You know what I mean? It keeps coming back to what's best for the for the group. And in this game, yeah, you can know that Johnny Sexton needs minutes with his with his hamstring, but there's not a grand slam at stake this season. There's uh, uh obviously there's important you keep winning, but I think this weekend you win irrespective of your personnel. 
we're not going to talk about like predictions around this game everybody just accepts you mentioned yourself but how long it's been since Italy won a match and it was more competitive in your day but what we and like obviously the nature of the amount of changes now we're talking about because it's Italy what were the like did complacency come up when you were in camp during the week in the lead into an Italy game was that something that was overtly spoken about or how yeah how did you no, talk about it no it wasn't because you know I think it's from what it's it's probably since 2015 isn't it that they ha- haven't won the game I don't think they ever lost Italy but no um, you didn't some of the teams uh, you know I mean I'm washing my hand but I was I think just retired maybe when we'd one struggle against them um, but um no, there's none of that. The great thing, as you say, I know Ireland didn't win in Stade de France, but there was a lot of positives to take out of that. I would say there was a disappointment for 48 hours and then uh, a realisation of the missed opportunities. Because when you go through the video uh, in a bit of detail, you could see there'd be one or, not one or two, five or six uh, elements that they'll be disappointed with. But I think uh what they'll be made aware of are their learnings as we call it nowadays if we do if you did this this and this that's how we get the performance that gives you the the, the desired result instead of france and that's not exaggerating it was based on f- small margins in the end uh so i think what they have now in, in carton house if they, if they they have a competitive environment when you have a competitive environment it just ups the standard and it ups the competition among the players and all of a sudden the thing is humming and that's when injuries aren't noticed people uh, of I suppose with huge credit in the bank missing aren't noticed the show goes on it rolls and you have momentum and that's what you want when you're when you're I suppose in charge of the group yeah. the uh, you were talking last year about the, it was a, sm- a small chance at some point over the last few years that you were going to get involved with Italy or you were asked at least anyway um it feels like a giant bullet dodged, obviously, now. It, um, what about Italy's future in the tournament? Like, is it never a stronger case, I suppose, to be looking at some of the nations that might warrant a place if there was some sort of a relegation situation? Or what are your thoughts on that now? Yeah, I think that's, you know, I, mean, I, I, I probably the, the idea of bringing in a superpower of you know, South Africa, New Zealand, or, or Australia, it's. It's uh, Six Nations is, has huge history and huge pride in what it stands for. And, you know, I mean, that for me, you have to rename that. It isn't the Six Nations with South Africa or New Zealand or Australia. And it just, it's, you're just, it doesn't work like that. I think there's, there is validity in potentially playing a, a, a relegation playoff between uh, the bottom team and the, and the emerging nations. But yeah, I think if, for example, another team, uh, were to replace Italy, I think you have the same. Um, you probably have the same issue. I think mm. it's they're on a, a negative spiral, and it has been for for a long period of t- of time. But there are big, I suppose, uh, rays of hope when you look at an Italian under twenty team beating England. So maybe just this is this is the most difficult cycle they'll have. I think they're very important. Um, for, for, for the Six Nations and um, for me I think you you, you stick with them um, You mentioned learnings earlier on you had a bit of a wild ride last weekend you had enough done against Claremont but uh, Claremont but they got close in the end Yeah yeah uh, I mean 31-13 77.25 yeah. on the clock Mad and 
uh, yeah, welcome to the top 14. Uh, absolute uh, mayhem. Uh, we didn't, we got a, well, incredible, I suppose. Um, never say die attitude for our bonus point try. After 77 minutes, you think uh, we there was a bit of fortune in it, but the guys, it was a bit of a dead end case. But guys kept chasing and they managed to, to, to get the ball down so it was uh, four tries to one so that's what happens in top 14 you have to outscore your opposition by three tries to get a bonus point in attack so we had that but then um, yeah, of course uh, kick off reception uh, we miss it and uh, they score off that and then literally uh, kick off again and they lose the ball and we get it we throw a speculator and two tries in, in three minutes so um it's uh, probably ties into the the discussion the week previously about kicking to the corner. I thought Ireland were right to go for the points because uh, you know in three points um, in Test rugby is nothing. Mm. When you worked so closely with Jono, was it a nice was it nice to be able to shake the hand at the end after that, or how is that how does that work? No, because it's it nice to get uh, over him. Like I suppose what I'm asking. No, 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 no. Because sure they won their home game, but and we got a bonus point, and they came here and they they got a bonus point. So there was basically, um, you know I mean, uh, even Stevens, Adrian. Even Stevens, very good. Well, look at you. Hang on, hung on there. I watched the highlights last night. It was a, it was a mad, it was a mad one. It was a mad one. I can only imagine from a coach's point of view that the black book was <laughs> yeah, full well. afterwards. You just got to remember too, but I think we have enough points ahead. Imagine if that if that last try had led to a defeat, that would be uh, uh, topped up with the Barretts in the eighty third minute. That would be uh, that'd be a nice drive home to the family. Hi guys, how are you? <laughs> I'm going into my room here. I'll be back out in about three days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh wow. Good stuff yeah. here. Listen, enjoy the games over the weekend. Thanks a million. Yeah, cheers. See you guys. Cheers. Bye. On the line there from La Rochelle. Um, it was a mad old thing. There was all sorts going on. It's worth watching back. There's four minutes of highlights of it on YouTube and it is worth watching back because you're looking at the end scoreline and then you're looking at the game as it unfolds and you're thinking, there must have been something. They must have mistitled this thing because... <laughs> Surely they couldn't have scored two converted tries in the last two and a half minutes. But as he said himself, that's exactly what happened. Uh, that's Ronald Gar on the line there. Interesting stuff ahead of the, uh, particularly on Joy Carberry and uh, Sexton's grumpiness. Like Jerry Thornley does have him in at, um, in, the squ- in the 23 for the weekend, according to whatever sources he has. It seems like that's what's going to happen. I can only imagine where he's like knocking on the door going, here, put me in, would you just start me? I need the game time ahead of England. Mm. And Farrell is like, Sitting back on, oh, I didn't have him in the squad at all. <laughs> no, I mean, no, you're on the bench, Johnny. That's you've just been upgraded. Yeah, I like. I, I think that it, it had been said earlier in the week that this notion that Johnny Sexton needed a game before Twickenham probably didn't wash. And Sexton has proven just this season that he can come back and play well and he can hit the ground running. And I mean, how much is someone like Sexton going to get out of a game like Italy as well? Is mm. something maybe they factored into it? I just think that they're on a really nice. There's an opportunity, I should say, for them to run into a really nice bit of momentum with Joey Carberry in the 10 shirt now. And halting that would have been detrimental for him. And I, and I think that Sexton maybe doesn't come into the thinking for this weekend a little bit. I think it's more about the player who does yeah, start. What's the point in Sexton coming off the bench with 10 minutes to go to see a game out where Ireland are already 30 yeah, points up? Well, I was just going to say that like the decision was made based on who does start as opposed to leaving somebody out. I think this is the, the yeah, story here is yeah. Joey Carberry, not Johnny Sexton. 
managing the message on. I hear you. I hear you. Right. It's uh, coming up at a quarter past eight. It's Friday morning. You're watching RTBAM. We've loads still to come. Uh, we'll have live crappy quiz a little bit later on. We're going to talk to Alan Quinlan uh, a little bit more about the rugby, our GA quick picks on the way shortly. And up next, Professor Simon Chadwick is going to talk to us about uh, events in Ukraine and uh, generally the economic and geopolitical influence in that part of the world at the minute. OTB AM. All right, it's quarter past eight. It's a Friday morning. You're watching OTB AM. Delighted to say that uh, we're joined on the line now by Professor Simon Chadwick, an expert in geopolitics and the economics of sport. Good morning, Simon. Good morning. Thanks a lot for taking our call. Obviously, in the shadow of events unfolding uh, between Russia and Ukraine, um, at the minute, we wanted to get you on and get some of your thoughts on that. And we might come back to the tangled web uh, behind uh, how we've got here. But your reaction, first of all, if you don't mind, to the re- removal of St. Petersburg as the host venue for, uh, for the Champions League final. I think that UEFA is in a very difficult position and uh, it's it's actually moved swiftly and decisively to to, to address the situation. Uh, I'm sure that UEFA will justify this in, in terms of, of safety and security, but also upholding a, a set of values which it believes sport should ad- adhere to. Um, but I think UEFA ultimately really had no choice. Yeah, so they're doing it for the... They had no choice in terms of the optics of it, really. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the, the, the difficulty UEFA is in is UEFA is, uh, has got a Gazprom sponsorship. And, and for, for people who don't know, Gazprom is the Russian state-owned uh, gas corporation. Uh, and Gazprom and, and Ukraine and the whole issue of, of, of Russian influence over Western Europe has been central to what's now happening in Ukraine. And, and for UEFA to be associated with such intense geopolitics, I think, was was just probably a step too far for UEFA, even though, as I say, Gazprom is a sponsor. Um, you got to keep in mind that that the, the the final in St. Petersburg, obviously Gazprom sponsored tournament in a Gazprom owned stadium where a Gazprom owned team normally plays uh, and it just didn't look good for UEFA. I think it had to do something. Gazprom's involvement in football in itself is slightly odd. A natural gas company, when you look at a lot of the short sponsorships uh, in global sport, they don't tend to be at that level necessarily. Um uh, majority state owned uh, stake owned by the Russian state first got involved I think it was Schalke 15 years ago Would you talk to us a little bit about that Simon and, and why they're involved in football yeah, I mean, obviously you've got to keep in mind that normally if we take the Champions League or the European Championships, for example, uh, we would normally expect a, what's called a B2C sponsorship, a business-to-consumer sponsorship. So you know, McDonald's or Coca-Cola or Sony PlayStation, Heineken are the kind of deals that you would normally expect. But Gazprom, but not just with UEFA, but also with Schalke as well, is a very different kind of sponsor because effectively what what Gazprom does is it sells gas to governments and exactly how you do that through a UEFA sponsorship deal is is you know not immediately clear so i think partly the deal was about Gazprom legitimizing itself and what I mean by that is, you know, up until Monday, none of us really questioned Gazprom. None of us really asked what Gazprom is, what it does, how it goes about its business. We just accepted it as a Champions League sponsor. And I think that's exactly what, what Gazprom wanted to do. It wanted to legitimise uh, the activities in which it was engaged. And obviously, what we know those activities were is what's happened this week. Um, but I think the second aspect of this as well is, 
when a sponsor engages with, with Schalke or, or with UEFA or any other property, uh, what they do is they activate a deal. They activate the deal. And what, what activating the deal means is, for example, um, using corporate hospitality to entertain important decision makers, uh, potential clients, and so on and so forth. And so I think what Gazprom has also done is to use Champions League games and to use the corporate boxes in places like Old Trafford and you know, Anfield and many other such places to to, to really engage in what I would call fast track diplomacy, which is to to to, to target uh, important decision makers, politicians, influential people, businesses that that Gazprom really needed to not only sell gas, but I think also further its political agenda. And that's exactly what's happened. You know, not just in the fifteen years since it signed with with Schalke, but in the the near ten years since it's been with UEFA. Is there any existing? Uh, governance to hold deals like that to scrutiny? There isn't. Uh, I think that's a simple thing. Is is what tends to happen um, in football right now is is if there's a company that is willing to pay, uh, then football typically will accept that money. And and you know, we're not just talking about Gazprom here. We're talking about gambling sponsorships and, and many other forms of sponsorship. And and so I think one of the lessons that European football has got to learn from all of this is is that if you take someone's money, um, sometimes baggage with, comes with that. And and so the way in which we engage in due diligence and, and risk assessment has got to change. And and I've been monitoring Gazprom now for, for the best part of 15 years. And, and it was very clear what Gazprom was and what it was trying to do. You know, Gazprom was a hugely controversial organization, particularly in places, not just like Ukraine, but also in places like Poland. Um, there have been issues in Serbia. Uh, clearly the connection to Germany is, is, is really contentious. And yet it appears that, that nobody within the, the international football community, including UEFA, really questioned that sufficiently enough. And this is what, you know, where we now are. You know, I, I've said earlier in the week in, in, in another interview that I gave, it's, it's almost as though European football has been sleepwalking into this situation when, you know, for some of us, we spotted this 15 years ago and it's just been simmering since then. What adds a whole other level of intrigue to this is not necessarily just on the surface level you've got UEFA greed, which is the obvious answer to, to why they've turned a blind eye to this, but also kind of how this happened. And when you look at someone like Alexander Dukov, who is the chief executive of, of Gazprom Neft, who, who actually has a seat on the UEFA's executive committee, that is a hugely problematic thing, right? I, I think you, you've raised a really great point and a really important point because Alexander Dukov is is pivotal in all of this. So Dukov um, was uh, was in charge at Zenit St. Petersburg. Uh, he is now the head of the Russian Football Union, the Russian Football Association. He's also the head of Gazprom. But by by virtue of his um, his role with uh, with the Russian Football Union, he's managed to get himself onto the UEFA Executive Council. So, you know, what's you know, kind of almost perverse about all of this is is that UEFA has been you know has been forced to make decisions about Russia and about Gazprom and and, and about other related issues in meetings where where Dukov, who effectively is one of Putin's you know, sidekicks, he's one of his right hand hand men, certainly in football, has been present in those meetings. And 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 I think the the whole governance of not just of sponsorship deals, but I think the whole governance of UA for itself as an organization has really been challenged and dare one say even compromised by what has happened this week. But as I say, you know, this 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 didn't just sneak up on us. You know, that was this was there all along. It's been there for the last 10 years within UEFA. And really nobody, in, including people outside UEFA, not just people inside the UEFA, you know, including people outside UEFA, have not challenged this, have not questioned this. And I think one of the things we've got to learn moving forward from here is 
the way in which not just sponsorship deals, but TV deals, commercial deals, where, where matches are hosted, where finals are staged, we have to stop taking these things much more seriously and asking not just economic and commercial questions, but political questions, sociocultural questions. And, and we've got to be a lot more savvy and, and improve the, the standard of governance that is displayed within football. You mentioned about the sleepwalking aspect to it. It's probably more likely, I guess, that everybody was fully aware as to what was going on here, but they chose to take that sort of blinkered view. Is is this a moment now for uh, introspection for, for football, particularly at this minute? Uh, well, the, the moment the moment was probably twenty years ago, or nearly twenty years ago, when Roman Abramovich took over Chelsea. Um, uh, and again, Abramovich is part of this because Abramovich, at the time he was uh, he bought Chelsea, was the uh, the owner of a, a Russian gas corporation called Sibneft, and uh, and Abramovich sold Sibneft. Um, to the Russian state, and, and that ultimately became you know, what is essentially now Gazprom. And so, you know, we've had lots and lots and lots of opportunities. You know, what's happened this week? What happened with Abramovich when um, Russia invaded Crimea? Uh, and yet, we've not really asked questions, and we've not really reflected. And I think you know, these are just words. And you know, now is a moment for reflection. Well, yeah, okay, we could have said that you know, 10, 10, 15, 20 times over the last twenty years, and we've not done it. And so, you know, if we're going to say it, now's now's a moment for reflection, we've got to mean it. We've actually got to do it, mm. and that's got to take a political. That needs a, a political will. It needs a, an appetite to do it. And then obviously it's not just talk about it, actually do do it. You tweeted a link last night, Simon, to uh, an article about Manchester United's sponsorship deal with Aeroflot, a uh, Russian state-owned um, airline, and why there isn't more due diligence around stuff like that, for example. It feels like it's a case of for a lot of these clubs or associations uh, to you know get the money in and then sort of keep the head down and, and hope that there's not too much of a stir about it. In the context of what you've just said, how do you see relationships like that, for example, because the Gazprom one is obviously a, um, a very significant one that, that we will talk about, but there are several others. How do you see those sort of relationships uh, developing from here? And I, I think it would be very very easy just to sit here and lay the blame at the door of UEFA, lay the blame at the door of uh, Manchester United and, and other such organisations. But you've, you've got to keep in mind that these organisations, particularly clubs, um, they they do op- they, they do operate in a high cost environment. You know, so players earn huge amounts of money. Um, the tra- transfer fees are massive, uh, and and so they've got to cover their costs. You know, if they don't if, if if they don't generate revenues to cover the costs of clubs, clubs go out of business. And and so, you know, it is almost as though we all need to have this conversation about a new deal for football. And, and you know, instead of being seduced by big name players on big salaries and big transfer fees, and talking about you know, we're the best league in the world. So there's a time that now is the time, as you say, it's a moment to reflect and to think, well, you know, somehow we've been complicit in this for the last 30 years. We've let this happen and here we are now. And football is a part of something much, much bigger than than perhaps we realized when we used to talk about such things. Mm. Um, but I think... Uh, you know, absolutely, in in this dash for revenue, you know, there are good ways to make money, and there are bad ways to make money. And as I say, through through, for example, gambling sponsorships or associations with you know the Russian Russian state, you know, through through associations with people who are perhaps involved in in other in in activities that we don't necessarily like or agree with. You know, we've 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 got to take action. We can't just talk about it. And so, moving forward from here, I, I think that. The Aeroflot Manchester United case demonstrates, and for that matter, the Gazprom Schalke Gazprom UEFA case, you know, does reveal that increasingly 
people expect sponsorship deals to um, at least adhere to some basic principles of of morality and have some underpinning values attached to them. You know, if we think about you know the likes of Naomi Starker or Colin Kaepernick or um, yeah, Lewis Hamilton, you know, we know we know there is a, a wind of change blowing through commercial relationships. And I think what we now realise is it can't just be around. You know, other social causes such as ethnicity and, and and racism, you know, it's also got to extend to um, to to, the, to ideological position and, and political values, and and I think the you know, this whole episode reveals that to us. And so sponsorship has to change, commercial relationships have to change, and and ultimately it could be that we've just got to say, well, hey, yeah. You know, we can't. We can't take this money from from Russia. We can't take this money from Saudi Arabia. We can't take this money from you know, wherever it comes from. So you know there are some harsh realities here for football to deal with. And and you know, I go back to your point about is it a moment to reflect? Absolutely, it is. And and we can't just talk about it. We've got to decide what we do moving forward from here. Like, like the thing about that is that in the Newcastle situation, the money from Saudi Arabia has been accepted, and it seems that. The uproar about that wasn't necessarily going to lead to to change or to any sort of prevention of that takeover of Newcastle United. Whereas this seems different. This seems as if change might actually happen or things might actually stop. For example, the behaviour of putting the uh, Champions League final in St. Petersburg is is going to be reversed. That is an actual change as a result of what's happening. So all of a sudden, is this the line in the sand? You know, one country invades another country relatively close to the the Western world, uh, a country that that has done nothing wrong. And that is the, the line in the sand, whereas Saudi Arabia is on the right line in that uh, right side of that line is, is that what we're, we're saying here because it does seem that nothing has actually changed materially as a result of Saudi Arabia well I'll say two things I mean firstly Saudi Arabia was involved in a war when um, it was given permission to buy Newcastle United Saudi Arabia is involved in a war in Yemen um, the people of Yemen did nothing you know the people of Yemen, Yemen didn't invade Saudi Arabia uh, you know Saudi Arabia is involved in a, in a really long and, uh, and, and bloody war in Yemen um, now that's a complicated situation. I don't want to generalize or oversimplify, but nevertheless, you know, reference to that war was not made when an application by the Saudi Arabian state w- was made to the Premier League to buy Newcastle United. And you know, that, that, that didn't form part of the owners and directors test decision that was implemented or applied in, in the case of Saudi Arabia buying Newcastle. So there is a direct comparison, you know, within the last six months, We've already made the same mistake with Saudi Arabia and Newcastle United. We didn't question the war part. Um, but I think moving on from, from, from that to the current situation, you know, we, we perhaps shouldn't you know, become too optimistic and, and, and too um, you know, hopeful that things are going to dramatically change anytime soon. As the pandemic has shown to us, it's actually very easy to move a game. Uh, the Champions League for the last two seasons has moved, and 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 I think UEFA probably feels fairly safe, fairly confident in moving games now because they know it can be done at relatively short notice. The acid test for UEFA and the acid test for for football is: Will UEFA terminate their sponsorship deals with Gazprom? Because that's far less easy. That's far more challenging to to accomplish. And I think for me, the acid test is not just moving a sim- single game. The acid test is: You know, what about those deals with Gazprom? Keeping in mind, they're not just the Champions League; it's also European Championship and, and Nations League as well. That's the first thing, and the other thing is on an ongoing basis. You know, how will UEFA engage with the Russian Football Union and engage with the Russian national team moving forward from here? So, you know, there's still the the, the, the substantive, the fundamental issues are still there. You know, good start, UEFA, but let's see more. 
Mm. And there's a bit of strength in numbers as well with regards to their response over the last 24 hours. Everybody else is doing it, so it's safe enough for us to take something away from the Russians. So I guess the, the acid test will be what happens next when there is literally money on the line with regards to their Gazprom sponsorship. In, in many ways, this situation uh, deteriorates uh, and, and gets more grim by the day, which it is likely to do in a, in a similarly grim way. That would make UEFA's decision even easier. It would be a situation where they just c- cannot continue with Gazprom. Yeah, and, and and I think and and I, you know, when you said there's literally money on the line, you know, keep that phrase in mind as we go through the next mm. you know, week, week, month, six months. Um, so that's one thing. I think the other thing as well is is you got to. I think you got to keep in mind two things. The first one is is the Russian Football Union is part of UEFA. There are 55 member associations, including Ireland, England, France, and, and others. You know, but so is Russia. So you know, UEFA has a responsibility to the Russian Football Union as as much as it does to to Ireland, to to England, and others so you know, that, that's a that's a particularly difficult and complex challenge i think for you for, for to, to deal with but i think the other thing i would say as well you mentioned alexander dukov so there's pressure coming from russia inside uefa but you also have to keep in mind there's going to be pressure coming on uefa from outside the organization you know so from the united states from the british government from there from the french government and so you know this is a, this is a governing body you know this is organ this 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 organization you know sets up competitions and you know promotes grassroots development of football and you know kind of funds women's football it's it's not a you know it's not the united nations it's not a geopolitical organization and so i think you know uefa does need to be supported it does need to be helped it does need to 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 um, be guided to ensure that it makes the best possible decisions number one for football but i think beyond that obviously to ensure that football is delivered in a in a, in a safe and secure way but in a way that doesn't um, perpetuate or support or condone violence of any of any uh, particular nature. Could you say that they have made themselves a geopolitical entity as a result of getting into bed with a company like Gazprom? One hundred percent. What's really interesting is the the IOC has, has over IOC over the last twelve months. We've had Thomas Bach, the the the, the president of the IOC, telling us that the uh, the the Olympic movement, the Olympic Games, is not a political organisation, and yet. A lot of what he's done over the last uh, uh, twelve months has been incredibly political, and geopolitical, and and so I think it is almost unavoidable at uh, at this particular moment in time for a sports organisation, you know, whether it's a, a governing body like UEFA or a club like Manchester United or, or even a sponsor. You know, thinking about sponsors like you know McDonald's or Coca Cola, it's almost impossible to 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 be. Um, neutral and, and non-political and so i think what this does call for 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 organizations in football to to think about and really to really establish in their minds is you know who are we what do we do and what values do we embody and and you know we shouldn't they shouldn't necessarily be thinking about ukraine or they shouldn't necessarily th- be thinking about you know issues of racism or whatever else it might be it's fundamentally what do we stand for and then you make decisions in the context of what you stand for and i think that that's where the the uefa champions league decision comes from because you know, UEFA does try to adhere to the IOC, to the Olympic Charter, and, and uphold certain basic principles and values. And so, I think in in this context, that's that's one of the positives that's come that has come out of this. Is UEFA said, you know, we do have a set of values, um, and we're going to s- adhere to those values, and we're going to operate and make decisions on that basis. So, you know, good start, UEFA, but let's look at those commercial deals, and, and as we move forward from here, you know, begin to think about well, you know. 
is there a way of terminating those Gazprom deals? And, and if there isn't, you know, next time when the, the rights negotiations come round, you know, are you going to exclude Gazprom from bidding for the right to bid for those uh, rights? The removal of the Champions League final, Schalke have actually taken the shirt sponsorship off. I don't know if the, the action delves any deeper than that, but you would expect that a lot of other brands, as you've just been indicating, will be left with no choice but to do that exact same thing. Have you any sense of, um, Putin has been talking about the Iron Curtain now as well, but have you any sense about how, having spent years and millions and tens of millions to build up that soft power base, how all that plays out in the Kremlin? Um, I mean, I... You've got to keep in mind that in the great scheme of things, when you've you've got a, a Russian president who's who's you know kind of waving the threat of nuclear weapons in front of everyone, sports sponsorship really is is you know it kind of disappears into the background, and it, and it is far less important than than perhaps we're making it out to be. Um, but I think certainly one of the things that that, that Putin in the Kremlin has done is to is to try and shape the uh, uh, the world's view of of Russia. And I think if you go back to 2016 in Marseille. You know, obviously, we, we we suddenly had this uh, view of of Russia as you know basically being this thuggish bully that w- was walking around Marseille beating up football fans, and obviously there were stories that Russian secret agents were part of the Russian hooligan gangs that were there at the time, and so this got to got got us to to, to 2018, and and I think about England, there were actually more Chinese football fans in 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 Russia in 2018 than there were England fans because I think. England fans were genuinely afraid that that if they went to Russia, they they would get beaten up. They were, you know, they would possibly even worse. Um, and when people actually went to Russia, they came back and they were saying, "What a great, what a great country, what a great atmosphere, what a great welcome. You know, we're really safe, no problems at all." And so, you know, I think that demonstrates how Russia and how Putin has used sport to manipulate and to shape people's perceptions of, of Russia. And up to this point, that has served its purpose. But I think moving forward from here, you know, obviously the, 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 the cat's out of the bag. You know, we, we know we know still that that kind of brutish face that we saw in Marseille in 2016 during the European Championships, you know, that that is how Putin wants Russia to exert its influence now. And so I think, you know, if we are going to see... Um, Putin and the Kremlin engaging with sport from here, then you know, it's going to be a very, very different incarnation moving forward than it has been over the last five, six, seven, eight years. Will the Abramovich-Chelsea relationship survive all this? Um, it has so far, and and it seems to be that there's no political appetite to, to, to deal with Putin. Uh, the alarm bells have been ringing for quite some time. Uh, we know that Theresa May's government, for instance, uh, denied uh, um, Abramovich uh, a visa to enter Britain. So, you know, again, there are some really, really t- difficult, tough questions for for the British government to ask, for um, British football to ask, for the Premier League to ask, for Chelsea fans to ask. You know, I go back to the earlier point that I made: is 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 that. Abramovich will have used money that he made from selling Sibnef to Gazprom to help him buy Chelsea. And I, 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 I'm, I'm often dismayed by football fans saying, a Premier League, best league in the world. And, and it's, it's, it's almost like a house built on sand. And, and what's now happening is the sand is shifting and, and the house will start to crumble. But having said all of that, you know, as we know, there, there tends to be this kind of myopia or, or this... Uh, reluctance to even contemplate bad things when it comes to the Premier League because of course it's the best league in the world but you know we, we, we've we've got 
Abramovich, someone who's associated with Vladimir Putin at uh, Chelsea. You know, we've got Saudi Arabia at Newcastle United. Saudi Arabia is involved in a war. You know, we've got numerous others with, with, if not dubious track records, then certainly you know, with associations with with issues, with organisations, with causes, with problems that really, you know, we, we don't really want these people involved in running football clubs, but they're there. They are there. And I think if you to, if, if the, the British government of the Premier League was to start with Abramovich, you know, it's a bit like once you start cutting, a, cutting the branches of a tree, you know, you just very suddenly find yourself halfway down the trunk and having to cut the whole tree down. And, and so it's very difficult territory for the government and very difficult territory for the Premier League to go into because once you start dealing with one case, then a whole stream of other cases will start to unfold. Yeah. Professor Simon Chadwick, thanks a lot for joining us. Thank you. Informative stuff on the situation unfolding and the ramifications of it as well. They're so wide-reaching, like it's almost impossible to unpick everything that's been built up over the last 20, 30 years. Yeah, yeah, like, absolutely. Like, what happens next is going to be very interesting because as, as, I, as I put to him there, it, it does make it does make UEFA's life a little bit easier if things just uh, develop the way they're probably going to go and they will have to, to cut their ties. It would be uh, not only a show of brass neck for them to continue to associate with Russian sponsors, it would be yeah, mm. stupidity actually from their part and, and nobody would win. I think... Um, people should have been able to see the wood from the trees before now but I think that would uh, certainly be the case in the future if this somehow continues this relationship or the relationships that they have with, uh, with a lot of Russian backers Chelsea would owe Abramovich £1.5 billion if he was to leave tomorrow Wow that's unbelievable he's uh, really played them Well you know and anyway we will come back to that topic I'm sure uh, no doubt down the track OTBM brought to you by Gillette uh, good morning start with Gillette put your best face forward with their new and improved razors we've got uh, Rugby with Alan Quinlan the latest sports news with John Duggan and the crappy quiz uh, still to come this morning but right now time to get into the GEA quick picks Somebody's critics these pundits I absolutely adore them lads I have unbelievable time from but they're a great bunch but it's not acceptable I'd like to play the hard man when, when they're on it's not very pleasant when you're trying to manage a team all you're looking for is a bit of civility and a bit of decency but they just dismiss you like, like you know you have nothing to do with the bloody occasion Well Ashling, morning Morning guys how you get on? Morning Owen How's the form? Good now, not too bad. How are you? Owen is top of the table by some distance. I know we had some cancellations last weekend and, you know, I probably would have nudged a little bit further up the table, but Owen is uh, 20 out of 29 so far, Owen. Yep. 68% oh, wow. strike rate. It's pretty good. I mean, yeah, I just the off. rest of us are pathetic after that, to be honest. Tommy's 55, Will 55, and myself and Ashling are battling out there, just nudging over that 50%. Ashling well, I didn't get going a chance yet. last week. That's true. Or the That's week true. before, or the yeah. week before, it just looks like. I mean, Ashling just hasn't got going. The, yeah, I just not had the Nostradamus team OTB. That is true, that is true, <laughs> that is true. Right, let's get into this week, see what we got. Uh, we're going to kick off with Donegal, uh, Donegal Tyrone, and it is Tyrone across the board here. Uh, is it going to be that clear cut, Ashling? Um, I think so. I think this will this will be a big game for Tyrone. The edge Pascal there last weekend. Um, I think Donegal will probably endure a tough day because they're going to be without Michael Langle and Michael Murphy. A lot of talk at the moment as well about they're heavily reliant on Michael Murphy, and I do think that is the case. I actually remember watching them last year, the championship game against Derry, and he came off the bench. I don't even think he was fully fit. And I just, this was a turning point. The reason I mention it is because I think this when I realized, wow, this is how heavily reliant they are on him. He basically wasn't really involved with the ball too much. He just took two players out of the game and created so much space 
for Donegal to push on um, and basically Derry players just followed him and so that's the impact he had so I think without him it, they'll find it tough you know uh, Tyrone on the other hand they got their first win against Kildare uh, last weekend just about a really important win for them and they done it with missing four of their key players in particular um, Padre Campsie, Kier McGeary, Peter Hart, Michael McKiernan so they're all back as well um, some of the younger lads got a chance last week, the likes of Derek Canavan, he started. So all those things are really positive. And when I spoke to Brian Dewar after the game, he said, you know, it was a chance for those lads to, to really get a start, to make, put their hand up, and then we got a win. So we really kicked the campaign off eventually. And yeah, they're, they're just hoping to, to push on now. So yeah. I think... Yeah, I think they'll they'll do it easy enough. Yeah, the four lads back. I think that's probably going to tip the scales there. Uh, Kildare Dublin is next up. Uh, it's Kildare for Ashling, Kildare for Will, Kildare for Owen, and I am going for Dublin. I am actually really surprised to see that I am the outlier in that regard. Like I get the I get that Kildare have left Kildare. Their, I get that Kildare have left their mark on, on Division you, you One. Kildare. I do accept that that they've left their mark on Division One. To be fair, <laughs> and like there's a the body country. of a growing body of evidence to suggest that um, you know they're they're not quite in the. Deep End. But they're 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 doing okay. Look at they've still got one draw to show for their campaign so far. And you know, could I would argue as well in the context of this game that there might be ten teams that on their day in in the country at the minute might actually beat Dublin. So there is the context of that, and Kildare are probably um, amongst that that group. You would say, and the reason that I'm going for Dublin here to give the rationale that. There isn't. People are talking about the idea of going to Newbridge, like going to Newbridge or going to Ockram or going to Port Leash for this Dublin team really is not a thing that overly concerns them that much. It doesn't hold any fear for them. The, rot has to stop at some point. I know there's a bit of mad logic to that, but it does have to stop at some point or another. And I think that when you look across that Dublin team, you look at Small, Fitzsimons, Fenton, Howard, Bugler, Kilkenny, Rock, like they are class. Now, I know they haven't shown it so far this year, but... I expect it to come out on in Newbridge. I, I'm not sure what the other. Pe- I, I'm surprised it is three one because I, I definitely had Dublin down here for a while before changing to Kildare because I think I right now if we're in if we're in the predictions game, I mean we've gone so far like having tipped Mayo last week and kind of been unsure about that. You got to keep going. You got to get. You got to keep tipping against Dublin until uh, they eventually win, and it is going to happen eventually. Like. I'm not, like the venue thing is an interesting one because I think we've spoken about this quite a bit Croke Park and the open spaces for someone like Daniel Flynn and Jimmy Highland would probably provide them with more opportunities to kill off this Dublin team than Newbridge will provide on Sunday but uh, there is the, the other element of them being at home and they've clearly used that home advantage as a, as a pretty significant uh, kind of siege-like scenario in the past in championship, the Mayo game being the obvious example a few years ago. So uh, that, that one's kind of a bit of a toss of a coin. But I think at the moment, like if there's no more players back for Dublin again this weekend, then it's the same team as last weekend and they've got opened up three games in a row. I think they're probably going to get opened up again. Will they be able to, will, will they be able to keep enough at the other end of the of the side because uh, I think they'll have enough an attack to, to put up a decent enough tally is the question and that's down to the Dublin forwards to, to try and ratchet it up one more this week Yeah, and they're not like Kildare for me just not seasoned enough they had opportunities to kill off that game against Tyrone a couple of weeks ago late on a bit panicky at the end when they could have tapped one over and gone a couple clear but uh, so that's my rationale Mayo Armagh is where we're going to move swiftly on to next and I'm again the outlier here and um, I'm sort of again kind of blindly sticking to my guns here the three you're going for Mayo and I'm going for Armagh Will 
the toughest game of the weekend to call, I think. Yeah. Um, uh, up there with Kildare in Dublin, definitely. Like, again, Armagh, so impressive. Not to blow my own trumpet, but he called the draw correctly between Armagh and Monaghan last week. Thanks a lot to the officials for not spotting a penalty that went about two feet over the line, <laughs> uh, which would have probably ruined that prediction. But again, like Armagh have backed up their performances. And again, that was a really good display. Probably unlucky not to win against Monaghan last weekend. Like, at the same time, how good were Mayo at Crow Park? I thought they created goal chances. I thought for all the talk about Dublin and where Dublin are that, Mayo again went and looked really comfortable in that game where they defeated Dublin. I've been impressed by Mayo so far. Like, it's hard to read so much into maybe that first game against Donegal, which was played in such treacherous conditions, but still Mayo got out of that one without being defeated. And uh, yeah, I just think they've impressed me so far. And I think they're going to edge a very, very narrow one against Armagh this weekend. This is probably game of the weekend in Division 1 albeit probably a lot of the attention is going to go on Newbridge because of the potential implications for Dublin if they're mm-hmm. defeated and the fact they'd be in a relegation battle. But I think this could be the best game of football this weekend. May- Mayo losing Castle Bar has been, uh, has been a good thing. Yeah, like uh, this, <laughs> If you look at their uh, <laughs> the last time they were in Division 1, I'm not sure, did they lose all their games in, in Castle Bar? I, I can't remember how 2019 went, but, but definitely kind of um, just th- thinking about what they've done on the road and, and not being, it's a home game, but they're not at home this weekend. Um, I'm, I'm not sure like I don't know what, what happened to them there over the last little while but they looked so good at the weekend once again and I think I think the height will probably suit them a little bit it is Will is right this is the game of the weekend Mayo Arma one of the biggest surprises with these entire predictions is that uh, some of these games are so obviously easy to call a draw for and you know our friend up there at the top right has so easily gone for the draw when it wasn't even that obvious at times. Although one of them did come off well, to be fair to you. Uh, I, did, I was so tempted to go for a draw, but having... Them will eventually hit the mark if you throw They will, them. they will. I was so not tempted, draws I just couldn't, couldn't bring myself. Let's bundle Offaly Meath, first of all, and then Claire Derry together. We're all going for Meath. And then uh, Claire <clears> Derry. Uh, Derry all the way. Ashling Meath, what's your... I, this weekend isn't going to cause the you wouldn't expect to cause the greatest trouble for this Mead team. Where are they at overall? Yeah, it, it, it's tough as a, as a Mead supporter at the minute. They they lost to Galway that game that you just like to forget. They lost to Common by four points and then they drew it down then as well. And it's just a really bad enough start for them. You know, I personally thought Down would have won the game last weekend, but they're probably another county that's not fully reaching their potential. But yeah, that's another story. But the the loss to go, we probably in particular was was really tough. Um, I just hope that they can get this win over Offaly, which I do think they will comfortably. Sorry, will um, put in a good performance and then push on from this point. You know, they're lacking that cohesion, momentum, all of these things that are just so important. They just they just look like they're lacking. They're not clicking at the minute, and they've really talented footballers. And it's just about getting them playing together as a team, regaining that confidence. Um, Offaly on the other hand they lost to Clare by 9 points and Derry by 12 points so you'd like to see Mead now getting this win by 5 to 6 points at least Yeah and Derry one of the foreign teams in the country as well that's the football that's where we leave that on to the hurling now Tipperary Dublin uh, first up in 1B tip across the board Will Dublin like have been grand but Tipperary at home is too much for them isn't it? Um, I don't know I think Dublin have been a little bit better than Grand I think very good results first time out against Waterford getting a draw and then went to Corrigan Park which was a very difficult place to go last season and got themselves a win so they're already up and running in a pretty decent position in Division 1B ahead of this game where we're probably going to learn a little bit about Dublin with how they perform at Temple Stadium because 
you know, Tipperary last time out didn't exactly sparkle against the young Kilkenny team, but just about got the job done. They're definitely transitioning with the style of hurling that they're playing, which hasn't uh, fallen perfectly with all Tipperary supporters. Some of them aren't a fan of maybe some of the extra defensive system that they've been using. But I saw the team that they had named last night. They've got a stellar forward line, uh, Tipperary, ahead of this game at Thurless on Saturday. And yeah, I just think a bit like the Kilkenny game, uh, Tipperary will have a little bit too much for Dublin on Saturday. How have you not gone for a draw on the Galway-Wexford game, which we can bring up on screen now and see which way everybody's gone? Uh, Galway across the board. You're, you were talking them down. The hurling pod was was rounding on Galway. Was it? I were mean, you not? J- I think James Gell was being very tactical and clever by saying that Wexford were the best team in the country currently ahead of the game against Galway, putting all the pressure onto Darry Egan's side after uh, two impressive wins for both teams uh, so far in the league. Both have beaten Limerick in the opening two fixtures before the break. So uh, this is a real test for a Wexford team, Adrian, who are playing a different style of hurling as well. Uh, they're looking to get the ball in. Last time out, they had both Rory O'Connor and Conor McDonald a little bit closer to goal. So they're not playing in the same way that they did under Davy Fitzgerald in recent seasons. And a very nice Nice brand of hurling as well. Go to Salt Hill against Galway, who went out and did a proper job on Limerick just before the break. They were so impressive, particularly in the last 15 minutes. Carl Mannion has been brilliant for Galway this year. As a result, they have flown up the uh, GA power ranking since, and they're in fourth place going into this weekend. And if Galway were to back it up and beat a Wexford team, have been so impressive, maybe, just maybe, Galway could go even higher in the power rankings next week. But I think Galway at home are probably going to win this. They've been very good under Henry Shefflin so far. You know, stiffer tests await later in the year to see where they're at a championship level, but they haven't put a foot wrong in the league in their first uh, few weeks so far Not a tie call for you For Galway Wexford uh, it was a tie call like I think uh, I, I don't think any of the four of us are saying that this is going to be a hammering in favour of Galway mm-hmm. I, I think that th- th- we've all kind of uh, weighed this up and said that uh, that Galway are going to probably edge this one What was the, 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 the there was big talk of not only of Galway uh, being not great in the hurling pod that's probably not doing uh, James Gale justice there but of Wexford being amazing like the, that was that was the whole point here that was the whole point about Galway being played down was that Wexford are class so clearly the ar- you weren't buying the argument you were sitting there on the hurling pod Will silently disagreeing vehemently with what you were hearing <laughs> well, I was very, very very aware that you know James Gale was going to play Galway down because the last thing he wants to do is to say right here we are a couple of rounds into the league Galway look fantastic and then straight away someone will turn and say hey wait a minute remember 2021 when everyone was talking about Galway we're going to beat Limerick in the summer and then as it transpired Galway's summer entirely fizzled out it's about Galway being at that level where they can be a realistic contender for the All-Ireland Championship you know when we get into June and into July that's what really matters not where they're at in late February but we'll get a real feeling for where both teams are at this weekend I think um, for Wexford this is probably bonus territory if they can go and get a win in Salt Hill Galway will be expected to win but if they both play with the intensity they have in the first two weeks, we could get a really good game of hurling in Salt Hill. And the last fixture we have to look at here is Limerick Cork Ashling, and we're all going for Limerick across the board. Like Cork can feel Cork can plaster that one up on the uh, dressing room wall because they've been tipping along nicely, and Limerick have not. But I'm certainly starting this one by um, applying some of my Dub- Dublin logic in that it's got to come right. Yeah, I think so. Yet to get a win. Um, so this has to be the time is the way I look at it. Repeated the All-Ireland final as well. So I think um, they're a strong rivalry between the two teams. Cork will be hoping probably that this is their chance to get one over Limerick, you know, after that hurt. 
and the fact that they haven't won a game yet but I think for Limerick this result it's not of paramount importance I don't think for them but it does serve an opportunity for them to build momentum ahead of the championship it's in the Gaelic rounds in Limerick I think they'll, they'll definitely do this one not comfortably enough because Cork have been impressive and they're building year on year um, a lot of young players coming through they're exciting to watch so I do think it'll be a close game but I, I think Limerick will definitely edge this one Cavan lad wonders uh, what about the other Gaelic football fixtures I mean he's talking about the big games Cavan versus Carlo for example as the people <laughs> right. of okay. Kerry and Monaghan oh, well, Cavan nailed on I just, uh, yeah Cavan are absolutely nailed on and I would just like to say that it's uh, not you or I or Will or Ashling who comes up with the fixtures this week it is, uh, it is Tommy Rooney so any Monaghan people <laughs> out there who, um, who are disappointed that they are not having their heavyweight clash previewed this Friday I, I, think I, I echo your pain it, I think it was Tommy waited up and said listen that's a gimme for Kerry so yeah Tommy's words in, Tommy, there's a lot of disagreements <laughs> in this studio with that <laughs> that's quick picks I absolutely adore them lads. I have unbelievable time from, but they're, they're a great bunch, but it's not acceptable. That is a quick picks thanks to Will and to Ashling there, and we'll uh, keep an eye on events over the weekend, bring you an update on exactly uh, my storm to the top of the table, I'm sure, absolutely, uh, next week as well. Uh, John Duggan, good morning to you. Adrian and Owen, how are we doing? All good. Um, Limerick, going to get it, it's going to come good. In the All Ireland series? This weekend, I mean, th- th- either, either or. Uh, this, is a, this is a blip. Yeah, look, I think in the All Ireland series uh, they will, because I don't think they're at the peak of their cycle, and that's really what I'm more concerned about. As we've had this discussion on AM before, so yeah, we'll see. We'll see if it starts this weekend. What's happening, JD? Well, it's a very sad situation, obviously in Ukraine at the moment, and it's quite sobering to read that the former world heavyweight champions in boxing uh, Vitaly and Vladimir Klitschko will join the fight to defend Ukraine. Uh, Vitaly is the mayor of Kiev. Uh, a lot of actions around the world of sport. Obviously, in the last 24 to 48 hours, UEFA will today strip St. Petersburg of hosting the Champions League final on May 28th. UEFA may also make decisions now that the Republic of Ireland's games in the Nations League against Ukraine. We played them in Lviv on June 14th. That's the scheduled date after a match in Dublin 10 days earlier. Who knows where we'll be by then. Uh, the Polish, the Czech, the Swedish FAs uh, asking not to play their World Cup qualifiers in Russia. Aeroflot has now been banned by the British government. They sponsor Man United. Will that sponsorship go? Probably. The Gazprom sponsorship of Schalke has gone. Uh, a Labour MP, Chris Bryant, used parliamentary privilege to call on Chelsea to be taken out of the hands of Roman Abramovich, their owner. Max Verstappen uh, calling for the Russian Grand Prix to be cancelled. And uh, obviously we had those, I'm sure you played at the top of the show there, the... Uh, Good line of questioning from Rob Harris to Gianni Infantino about having Putin in the tent, as it were, by hosting the World Cup in uh, Russia in 2018 and the uh, implications now in terms of all those, uh, I suppose, overtures to, to Russia from the international sporting community, the IOC and FIFA, uh, you know, not worth a jot today. Yeah, it is uh, It is grim stuff to watch and the ramifications for sports that we discussed earlier are wide-ranging. What else is going on, JD? Uh, well, last night, Arsenal, huge win for them. The fact that they're now, what... Um, just a point behind Manchester United with two games in hand in the Premier League after that 2-1 victory over Wolves at the Emirates Stadium. They've done the double over Wolves, one of their rivals for the fourth spot. 
in the table and Alex Lacazette scoring in injury time. Um, we have League of Ireland games tonight in the Premier Division. Bohemians' first game, obviously, their match last week was uh, called off. So they played Dundalk at Dediman Park. Big one up in the Brandy Well. The champion, Shamrock Rovers, going to Derry City. Damien Duff-Shelburne making the trip to Drogheda. St. Pat's welcoming Sligo Rovers to Richmond Park. UCD against Finn Harps. Andy Farrell naming a side later for the match against Sicily on Sunday in Dublin in the Six Nations. Will Joey Carberry retain his place? Will we see James Lowe return? Peter O'Mahony could be in line for a start as well. Italy have not won a match in the Six Nations since 2015 and I don't think that's going to change on Sunday. Ireland's under-20s play Italy this evening going for the Grand Slam Musgrave Park at 8 o'clock start. 7.35 the start time for the Leinster game against the Emirates Lions at the RDS in Ballsbridge. Conor McManus, good news for Monaghan fans. He's available now for that game in Inishkeen against Kerry on Sunday after having his red card rescinded uh, that he received against Armagh last weekend. We have Shane Larry level par of the Honda Classic. Six shots behind the leader Kurt Katayama of America with Patrick Harrington three over par at PJ National Dundalk hosting racing this evening from four o'clock so that's a lot going on lads for your sporting day and your sporting weekend you have a packed show lined up tomorrow have you a new face well we, we're, we're always trying to use new voices uh, football wise and um, as well as the regulars like Damien Delaney David Myler and Laro but Owen Doyle the St. Pat striker my bag of gold or two tonight is coming into the studio tomorrow with Dan and Johnny on football Saturday between three and five we know he had such a varied career in England so we'll talk to him about that and obviously the Premier League as well and obviously uh, he's now moved to the League of Ireland which is a he could be a huge uh, player in the League of Ireland as St. Pat's look to wrestle the title of uh, Shamrock Rovers but so much going on tomorrow like Leeds, Spurs the early game Man United in the 3 o'clock match Everton against Man City in the late game and then looking ahead to the League Cup final on Sunday as well lads with Cleveland Callagher to start for Liverpool against Chelsea such a landmark day for the Cork natives so football is really hotting up like we have a title race suddenly on our hands with Liverpool now three points behind City we've got a relegation battle which could have clubs like Everton Leeds being dragged into it as Newcastle look to survive and also that top four race as well so Premier League is where it's at at the moment and obviously the League of Ireland uh, just two weeks old yeah, uh, well, we'll be tuned in tomorrow for more. Thanks very much. Come on, JD. Uh, that's it. Coming up on uh, nine this morning, a couple of comments coming into us here. Uh, Paul Cork on YouTube. Conway's like the new Earls. Between them, they could cover a few decades of Irish rugby by just being rock solid and consistent. It feels like if you're an international rugby player, somebody saying that you're rock solid and consistent is like insulting. Uh, and it's one of the most undervalued ways to describe someone. And I think we. Uh, don't appreciate it half enough just how impressive it is to be rock solid and consistent for that period of time MOC says uh, what uh, what Johnny Sexton wants and what he gets should be two different things they are and James McCullough on YouTube well done on mentioning sports and politics to say that they're not linked as childish everyone takes pride in their sport uh, sport men and sport women uh, sport women governments fund uh, sports I don't really know what that point is it doesn't make full <laughs> sense but uh, <laughs> there we go uh, it's nearly nine o'clock. Alan Quinlan, how are you doing? Morning, lads. How are you? Good. Um, the possible team is in, and I think it's rightly accepted now. It looks like Joey Carberry is going to start. We've been discussing with uh, Roger a little bit earlier on the ins and outs of it, but like in terms of the, some some of his hand has been forced in terms of injuries and sickness and stuff like that. But in terms of World Cup planning, it's the thing that makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, it probably does. Um, I think it's it's. Ju- even looking ahead to New Zealand, um, what's going to happen there? How many games is Johnny Sexton going to play going forward? I'm sure he probably wants to play, but this is a great opportunity to, to, to build Joey Carberry's confidence, self-belief, and 
and get, getting up to speed. He's played very little rugby this season, so um, it's it's I suppose it's a chance to build on on the performance in in Paris and and you know see if he can uh, if he can you know hit the ground running in this game. It's Italy are going to be fr- a frustrating side to play. They're going to be competitive, but Ireland should win this game easy. So it's uh, it's a great opportunity for him. Yeah, and the opportunity as well, like Keane Tracy was talking about on the show during the week, like specifically to have, in a way that he probably didn't it for the France game, like that week of planning and maybe a little bit more of knowing the runs and knowing the drills and the confidence of the players around him, like the the difference in the, the confidence that can make to him when he gets to the starting blocks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, I think, will, will he start against England? I think if Johnny Sexton is fit and healthy, I think... Um, he, he probably won't, but um, you know, to have that week in preparing with the team, and um, I'm sure he'll be very confident and um, at, at ease with himself, and um, and that's what you need for, with Johnny, uh, with Joey Carberry. Um, he's missed so much time in the last couple of seasons with injury. Um, everyone was shocked that it was his first start against France mm. a couple of weeks ago, um, given that he's been, you know, around for a couple of years. Um, so it's really important for him, I think. But players have got to play. Play uh, the particularly the forwards have got to provide a decent platform for him. Whoever plays the scrum half, um, decent service. And I just hope that he does the, the the simple things really well. That because it's Italy and because they've struggled so far in the championship, that he doesn't try and force it a little bit. He's still going to be physically tested against them. Um, they're a pretty physical side. Uh, but you would you would imagine that if he gets the right kind of service, that he can prosper and 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 it's good for good for the team going forward. I think uh, really important because we all know the reality. Um, having Johnny Sexton playing the way he's been playing um, that Welsh game, the way he played in November, was brilliant to have for Ireland. And you know we've all kind of questioned uh, the depth chart. And and Ireland peaking and and in the last Six Nations and before the last World Cup, you know this time I think it is all about and it has to be about depth for the World Cup in eighteen months' time. That point you make about Joey Carberry doing the simple things right, it does seem that he's got better at that. Better at like he can still produce a spectacular, obviously, but it does seem that that level of control that seems to be quite a hard thing to attain for an out half. He's, he has developed that and it's almost been noticeable since he's come back from injury. He's almost come back from each injury as a more mature player and more capable of achieving that. Well, that comes with confidence, doesn't it, on for any any player, particularly in a pivot, pivotal position like fly half. Um, for me, the big thing with Joey Carberry is his physicality. Defensively, um, that he makes his, his tackles and that he carries well and into contact and stuff. And he did that well in, in, in Paris against a you know, probably the most physical side you're going to encounter. Um, I know England could be a different proposition in a few weeks. And look, even if he did start against England, and who knows um, what kind of decisions they'll make around that. But just for the here and now, I think it is about, you know, playing in the right areas because um, this is kind of this potential banana skin game. Ireland will win the game. Um, what kind of performance uh, people will be satisfied with is is up for debate. I think um, I think they'll want to build on on that kind of ruthlessness that you showed, particularly against Japan and Argentina in November. Um, everything's not going to be perfect, but 
I think that's really important where where they play and, and the type of game plan and that he executes it well. So I've always said this about Joey Carberry. I don't know the guy very, very well, but I was kind of blown away a couple of years ago about in, in, in Australia when I when I was chatting to him. I was actually there with, with Rog and we ended up chatting to him and uh, how relaxed and kind of calm and lots of people say he's his teammates, people I've spoken to, how how relaxed and and um, level-headed he is so uh, people wanted to work out for him because he is a very very talented player I think what you want with Joey Carberry is just consistency uh, and and a run of games and I think this is really important not, not obviously for Munster you know you want him playing every week um, but the reality is he's not going to play every time with Ireland given that Johnny Sexton is still still around and still performing which is great to have but this is a really important one against a side that you know Ireland will win, and I think a lot of the eyes will be on his performance at ten if he starts. The natural conclusion that I'm taking to everything you're saying, Quinny, Ireland will probably win as we sit here. Uh, he'd probably play well because it's not the nature of the game he had a couple of weeks ago, and he needs a bit more game time. Is it ludicrous to suggest that because like it's not going to be the most ideal preparation for playing South Africa or Scotland or whoever else in the World Cup? Is it ludicrous to suggest that he should play against England as well? Um, it's not ludicrous to suggest it. Um, I think it's something that's, uh, look, you're going to get it in New Zealand. So he needs to start the test in New Zealand as well. Um, maybe he'll start all of the tests there. Who knows, um, what, what the plan will be for Johnny Sexton and how he and the Irish squad manage his, his, his minutes and, and what he plays. But, um, Look, I think they'll want to beat England and you picking your best side. Johnny Sexton is still more solid, um, more experienced, uh, better at taking the ball to the game line um, and has, has proven himself over the years and, and he can still do it. So um, I, I don't think he will start against England unless it'd be a really brave decision. Would it be a decision that could benefit the team going forward? Yes, for sure. But I think the thinking for that game will be, um, you know, with Tua Lange probably back in the mix, he's going to be involved. And they're getting a lot of that, those physical players back that England have lacked in the first couple of rounds. Um, but if he started, again, you know, he went to Paris against a very physical side and did really well. So who's to say he's he's very well capable of, of performing at this level. But, like I said, we want to see some consistency out of him. And the big area is that physical kind of side that he makes his tackle, gets off the line. Um, and he's really strong defensively as well. One player that we're definitely going to get to see around the games is Dan Sheehan now, obviously with the injury to Keller and he comes in. Uh, he likely comes in according to the possible teams. Um, he'll come in to play at Hooker this weekend and for the remaining games, you assume. It won't be lost in Keller, I'm sure, that if this guy comes in now and puts together a run of games like his... He's a star on the rise. What are the things that have impressed you most about Dan Sheehan? Um, I think the most impressive thing is his rise in the last couple of seasons. Um, his pace, uh, his ability to score tries. And, you know, it looked like a, a seam, seamless... It, it, that was a big step up, Adrian, to, to come off the bench and play, play for a long period in Paris and look really comfortable uh, at what he was doing there. Um He's an incredible athlete. Um, like Ronan Keller when he came on the scene and he's still working through it. 
Um, the line-out drawing is an area that um, you, you have to get right. And Ireland lost two line-outs um, in Paris and they struggled in the line-out. And I think you know, the first one they lost was James Ryan went up on a pot on his own and that was a throw from Ronan Keller. It was an overthrow. Costly, the second one, Sheehan was throwing when 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 Ty Byrne went up on his own and it was an overthrow in the in, in that match. So you know you've got to get your fundamentals right. Your scrummaging is absolutely vital. So I don't know how strong a scrummager um, Dan Sheehan is. It's he's a little bit untested at that top level. Ronan Keller is a very strong scrummager. Um, he's probably. Um, a little bit more physical in the tight exchanges Dan Sheehan or um, Ronan Kelleher is than Dan Sheehan but he's an incredible athlete um, you know he reminds you of Woody doesn't he the way he can run with the ball and the way he can you know break go past defenders make line breaks incredibly quick so he's a footballing hooker who we're not 100% how you know what level he's at uh, at the tight stuff you know um, but I would say that will come in time. Very physical player as well around the field and puts an incredible amount of tackles. So to have that abrasiveness and, and flexibility in a hooker is, is is brilliant. So I've been incredibly impressed with him. Um, he's so dynamic. That aspect of the game, it does seem to be just taking a little while at, at test level for Ronan Keller and it'll probably be the same for Dan Sheehan in terms of, of nailing at the line-out throw. How long does that take? How, how or, or is there a, a development here that's going on that these guys are just a little bit behind schedule in, in that aspect? Because obviously from open play, they look sensational. It takes a little bit of time. On It's like um, you, 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 you build on their, 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 their natural ability and strengths. Like Ronan Keller is very, very dynamic around the field as well and makes so many line breaks for Leinster and for Ireland. Um, but, you know, for me, it's it's... You know, having a five-metre scrum to defending your own line to defending a lead in, in a big six international match, making sure that your scrum is spot on and that that you're really strong uh, in, in in what you're doing there is is that's the fundamental. That's the most important thing, um, and it takes a little bit of time. They're they're both very big physical hookers. Um, it does take a little bit of time. The line out throwing is just. It's like a goal kicker. You continuously work on that. Um, the opposition or you know the strategy there they adopt around around defending your lineout. Some some international teams are, are better than others at, at attacking your lineout and stuff like that. And sometimes it's just tiny millimeters of 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 a difference or, or getting the timing of the throw right. So um, sometimes you have to learn that as as you go along and gain experience because. When you come up to the big games, the big international games, um, those margins are very small, and you've got to get them right. So, um, it's I. There's no suggestion that these guys are not are not good at that. It just you get better the more physical you you you, you realize the the tempo and the pace of international rugby and the pressure you're under and and the physicality that he would have seen Dan Sheehan himself and experience in Paris is different level than. He would have played a URC game for for Leinster, where he's very dominant on the front foot, making lots of carries, uh, swatting fellas off, and scoring tries. So there's a little bit of a difference there, but it does come as you get stronger, develop more, and and work with your forwards, coaches, and 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 your props around you as well. 
Uh, England-Wales uh, tomorrow. Quinny, what's your expectation from that? Hard to know what the Wales team turns up, but what do you think? Uh, it, is, it is hard to know. Um, I think England, obviously, are, are in better shape now with Courtney Laws back to Alangi back. Um, it makes them stronger. Um, they're still a little bit... Still a bit unsure about where they're at. Um, given I thought they were really poor in Scotland um, for a team that had a lot of a lot of possession. Um, obviously, ended up losing that game, and it's hard to judge them in Italy. You know, if if Ireland were over in in in, in Rome and won, you know, by 35, 40 points as England did, um, it was kind of sloppy at times. Um, it's just hard to judge and know where they're at. I think they'll probably. Uh, Wales obviously responded um, and had a real dogged kind of a determined performance against Scotland in, in Cardiff and were, were a lot better. They're still short of a lot of experience and a lot of injuries. So it's a hard one to call. I don't know. I I, I think England will just be too strong for Wales there and, and probably overpower them and, um, and, and beat them and twicken them. Yeah. All right. We'll leave it there. Enjoy the games over the weekend. Cheers, lads. Alan Quinlan, host of the Red 78, joining us to uh, preview the weekend's action. It is 30, 14 minutes past nine. It's Friday morning. You're watching OTB AM and uh, we still have a live crappy quiz upcoming, by the way. And here is what's on OTB Sports Radio over the course of the day. Uh, half past ten this morning, the football kickoff coming your way. David Connolly is going to join uh, the lads to mark a card ahead of the weekend's games. Uh, Joe in conversation with Ruby Walsh is our OTB Gold at one o'clock. Friday night racing from three... Uh, this afternoon at uh, four o'clock, it's Matt Rushmore and <laughs> Kildare is in the spotlight. And uh, from six this evening, OTB Gold Irish Football Special with uh, Given McAteer, Quinn and Caban, and then off the ball live on the radio from seven tonight. Right, the crappy quiz is going to be next on OTB. And before all of that, episode one of the Hurling Pod with James Skell, Paul Murphy, and host Will O'Callaghan dropped this week into the OTB Podcast Network. You can find it by searching for The Hurling Pod or in the OTB GEA feed. You're going to get the new uh, new episode every Monday evening throughout the year. Here's a little bit of a clip of what you can expect. Paul Murphy and why Wexford are looking so fresh under Dara Egan. It's two huge wins for them. So for me, what I see with Wexford at the moment is like Octavia is very, I suppose, charismatic manager, is motivational, but a lot of it sometimes seems to come from Davy as well, which I'm sure can get tiring for himself and for players. You know, how often, let's say, I think it was up in Salt Hill a few years ago, James, that, you know, Davy got sent off and went up to the stand, but it was kind of at a crucial time in the game. So Davy would do these things and even up in Antrim, I think he did the same thing, got sent off again, which in Antrim didn't make a difference because he just had to step behind the rail and then he was still talking to the players. So like, it seemed to be a lot of it was coming from Davy. Whereas with Dara Egan, like, he, he seems to be very composed on the line, which is a huge thing. And a lot of it is now coming from the players. Like, they're great. They seem to be a very motivated bunch of players anyway. And no doubt are carrying over a lot of the stuff they learned with Davy. But I thought it might be tough for Dara Egan um, stepping into a role in Davy because it's not easy, I suppose, follow Davy fits into a job, I'd imagine, because, you know, as, as we can see, legacy from other inter-counties that have had Davy, it's, it's, it's tough to fill that void. Whatever he does, whatever he does in the job, it can be tough to fill it. But Dara Egan seems to have stepped in there and fair play to him has put his own mark on it. And it just seems to be coming from the players. He's organised the players. They know their job. And I kind of maybe expected to see a bit more of a tired Wexford this year after the last few years of, you know, putting in really good performances and playing a really high-tempo game. But they seem to be even fresher again. So at the moment, they're in a great place. In many ways, it's delighted for Dara Egan. You know, it's, it's not a simple thing to do. And I'm looking forward to seeing more from Wexford because they are playing a good brand of hurling. Chris Bottle. Oh, you're kidding me. September. 
Kyle Lafferty. Are you no! joking me? Is that right? I know! Is that right? Ah. Anybody else? Leash, was it? Like, that is one of the most stupid questions. Darius Vassell? Seriously, you all need to just stay quiet. This is getting really annoying doing this quiz. What is going on here? <laughs> 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 Welcome, 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 welcome along to the shoddiest segment on Irish radio. It's a scintillating, it's a stupefying, it's a splendido crappy quiz. Every Friday, we put th- three of them off the ball up against one another in a no-holes-barred quiz of sporting factoids at the end of the week. Allow me to welcome today's contestants. Uh, our first contestant is a dedicated Kildare fan who loves his county and is there through thick and thin, which means he will definitely consider going to a championship match if he hears that they end up beating Dublin this weekend. Give it up for a shock jock, Ger Gilroy. Oh, hello, hello, how are you? You're very welcome. I was I was forced through economic necessity to leave my county, and I'm now marooned, isolated in uh, in a foreign coal land. It is a tough time for him, indeed. Uh, our next contestant has ditched the slacks and bought himself some new bootcut jeans. He threw all his wine out and exclusively only drinks pint bottles of Bulmers. You see, he's a hurling man now, and he only dances to the tune of Las Vegas and the hills of Donegal. Give it up for Adrian, who's your daddy, Barry. This week, I put out my back, pulled my calf, strained my hamstring, and have sore toes after the hurling. It's uh, it's not great. I'm also slightly tra- traumatized. Jar has just flashed his wordle. And it's, it's left me not in a great state. Wow, that's, uh, that sounds... It's not good etiquette, I have to say. Pretty filthy. Uh, our last contestant today doesn't get out of bed until the sun sets. He doesn't speak until after the watershed. He is the host of a saucy new late-night phone-in show where anything goes. Over 18s <laughs> only. Calls cost €2.30. Give it up for late-night LOI's own Nathan, Nate Dog Murphy. What are you wearing, Nathan? Whatever you want, Jared. Oh, Jesus, time to kill the feed. <laughs> Listen, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm glad to be back after the last couple of weeks. Uh, this quiz has turned into an absolute pity party from Barry and Gilroy <laughs> to old guys in an inexorable slide into irrelevance that the public are being put through every Friday morning. Wow. And now, now, as I'm leaving the office last night, I hear rumours of a return for angry producer Mick. That's angry happened. producer Mick on his way back to the crappy quiz, That's which happened. is... Essentially, Wayne Rooney returning to Everton, a waste of an expensive waste of everybody's time. Oh, so, that, makes us, that makes us Everton, is he? That's like, that's far. Well, we'd be happy to be Everton at this stage, wouldn't we? We welcome you know? people with open arms back to this company, of course. You've let yourself down badly over the last couple of weeks again, Owen. I, 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 I'll give Barry and Gilroy a pass, as I say, two old guys fighting against the dying of the light. But you need to stand up for yourself at some stage. In what, in what sense? Last week's final round was an embarrassment. How? It was a low point, even for you. How? You were bullied, bullied into submission and changing the rules. No, I was not. No, yeah. upholding yeah. the rules. Yeah, yeah you, you did change the rules. Upholding I, the rules. I, I, I asked, I extended an olive so branch. So can we just be clear Callum. from the start? Can we be clear from the start? Because otherwise the I first four rounds are a complete honest. waste oh, of time. The first four rounds are a waste of time. Rudd the final word. round... V-I-R-U-D, is that a word? I'm not, I'm not sure, actually. Uh, Jared, Jared, this is, you see, this is the sort of thing, Jared, that actually will get you cancelled. Like, uh, honestly, nobody this, wants this, to hear this you doing continuous flashing of the wordle is not working for anybody. I, it's... Uh, on how will it, the final round work? Will the person with the most amount of points be going first? No, it should, it should I mean... Yes, yes, we'll do, yes. We'll go to, no, okay. no, like, I mean, you know what, it was okay. Willow Callum was like, you know what, I'll, I'll go second, and that was fine. But he shouldn't and have gone second, he should have gone last. It doesn't matter. You're punishing, you're punishing... Oh, you're no. trying to keep it alive. This is like, it's, it's how the American sports system is not broken, because they don't have clowns like you 
lobbying on your own behalf. This You're is, rewarding this is, this is, stupidity. This is, this is excellent that we're, we're doing this the weekend of Congress where it's all about pork barrel politics and what can I get from me. It's, it's selfish, egotistical, whatever else that uh, Rory said about Phil Mickelson. That is you. You are Phil Mickelson in this instance. I'm just trying to make this as exciting and interesting and invested. Uh, poor Adrian gets left behind in so many of these, these shows that we actually need to grandfather him in yeah. to some sort of relevance in the final <laughs> round. And you're ruining it. I think Owen's doing a fine job, by the way, I should say. I think he's upholding the rules. Try it one more time, but properly from the end, right? No, no, we're no, not going to no. Really no. Why not? Here's what you want to do. If you want to do that, just do it that everybody gets one question, one after another, constantly in the final round. But you cannot have four rounds and then let the person in the American playoff system. They don't have a team that's one and fifteen. Say, you know what, lads, you can go into the playoffs for next year. For next year, yeah, and that's that's our version of the draft pick. There's no next year of this. Our version of the draft pick is we somehow let Adrian come back week after week. It's contract. I'm contractually obliged to be here next. And also another thing, while I'm on about it, so this guy who created a website with the results of the crappy quiz. Have we, had, have we had this guy on to... Have we called him to account yet? No, we haven't. So somehow, Adrian Barry comes last in 2021, 2019, 2018. Yet magically in 2020, he won 15 quizzes. Yeah. I, th- like, I remember about that run. Anything. Was it 13 this in a row I won that time? You can't trust anything. He went, he went on, on, a, he went on a great run. run. Yeah, he was champ, 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 champ. He started yeah. to do some research. It never happened. You've remember, all that. remember it was predictable? Uh, well, in was it that, that suddenly we were all working from home you, and Adrian uh, Barry had if, the laptop? If the last five minutes of all I can hear in my head, on, I don't know about you, and by the way, you're doing a fine job and you should stick to your principles. I think you're a fine presenter. You're a fine questioner. You're excellent at your job. This and is not a good endorsement. The last five minutes of what's going on here, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling slightly sort of... Everybody at home is, uh, is delighted to have Nathan back. Oof, and uh, I, I am too, Nathan. Mm. I, it's I a lot really to get off his chest, that man. Really nice to have you here. As ever, the format is a Is that a word? It is, yeah. But it's uh, seriously, come on. Can we... It's like, like, seriously, the you've just fire. ruined my... Everybody's everybody's wordle no, experience this is unacceptable. Day. Talking over each other is the best form of radio. Words. Podcast the crappy quiz on otbsports.com or on the OTB Sports app. And if you're watching on YouTube, make sure to click the thumbs up. I'm sure those thumbs are rolling in. Please send any questions you have via postcard to crappy quiz quizmaster off the ball towers. Marconi House. Get off the laptop. Dublin two. Uh, it has been a vintage. Like if if I'm on the laptop and I'm doing as bad as I am, do you think that? I mean, you know. looking stuff up is that a that's what someone who is doing badly <laughs> by exactly. the Adrian Barry school for people who can't use computers have good. I said what a, yeah. how well you're looking this morning you're looking <laughs> uh, thank you Adrian actually we might, we might have a look at those rules later on it's been a, a vintage vintage week for listener questions round one is the boring questions round never multiple choice and these questions were sent, sent in by Rory Dillon on Twitter who referred to himself as a bore teacher on midterm Jer Chloe Mustaki made headlines this week as she overcame serious illness to make her Irish debut what club does she play for? Melbourne. Correct. Jerry's off the mark. Adrian, what club did NUIG manager and former Mayo player Morris, Morris Sheridan captain to a club All-Ireland? Give me the question Easy again, to sir. Say. Morris. Uh, what club did NUIG manager and former Mayo player Morris Sheridan captain to a club All-Ireland? Where's Morris Sheridan from is really what you I might not be technically the question, to be fair. No, the, technically the question is the one I just asked. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> is, Knock is, more. No. Nathan, surely you know. I was going to say, was it UCD or someone? Casabar. No, it was Salt Hill, Knock Nakara. Oh, right. Ah. Nathan. Ah, that was a really hard question. Arguably Ireland's most embarrassing loss in recent memory is away to Italy in 2013, when the game is most well remembered for Peter O'Mahony ending up in the wing. Ireland lost three backs to injury. Can you name two of them? 
Keith Earls. That's one. Give me one more. Name two Ireland backs, basically. Like, well, it's multiple choices. Jared would say. Multiple I know it is. It is. It's not. So, well, Brian O'Driscoll. No, that's not correct. Uh, Luke Marshall and Luke Fitzgerald were the other two. Who God, my tricky. one was a standout stinker. That was tricky. Round two is the Italian sports people round in the build-up to Sunday's Six Nations game. Greg Haw, another Twitter user, has been in touch to send in the following questions. Ger, four Italian managers have won the Premier League. Can you name three of them? Uh, four Italian managers have won the uh, Premier League. So we're going to go Conte. We're going to go Claudio Ranieri. And we are going to also say, who else won the Premier League? Uh, an Italian manager. Come on, I'm going to need an answer here. Uh, Di Matteo didn't. Uh, Final answer? No, hang on, give me a second. Come on, it's like you've given everybody, I could have asked for the repeat of the question. Repeat the question for me, please. Oh, come on, give me the answer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, wow. Come on. Roberto Mancini. Boom! Oh. Adrian. Who was the fourth? Uh, Ancelotti. Oh. Adrian, only one player has Italian won. Italian Big Sam, how did I forget him? Only one Italian player has won the Premier League, Adrian. Who is it? What? Only one Italian player has won the Premier League. Who is the player? Gianluca Vialli. Roberto Mancini. Ah, oh, stop. Pietro Viecowad. Attilio Lombardo. Roberto Baggio Dino Baggio his brother any of those Adrian tickle your fancy come on how much longer is he going to get TikTok TikTok yeah no Adrian oh, no, hang on hang on did you repeat the question you're, you're, you're ruining our morning <laughs> you're ruining it you're ruining uh, actual the clock a, might be like, a, like, six, ten years into this thing an I'm actual clock on this might be an idea Di Matteo Di Matteo is not correct Mario Balotelli. Mario Balotelli. Oh, and Nathan, can you name the all-time top Italian goal scorer in the Premier League? These are good questions. It is. Shout out Greg Hall. Thank you. He Hall. He, I'd say he's never heard that in his life. There you go. But the repetition is the joke. <laughs> That's why it's funny. Yes, it, you're right. Tearing the arse out of something is... Uh... Wow. Well, oh, Nathan, Resident TikTok, Premier TikTok, League. come on. Expert is... I'm struggling. trying to go through the various... Oh, uh, that's, 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 that's <laughs> oh, I, even, I forgot <laughs> it was a question. Now he's awake. Now come he's on, awake. Come on. What is... I don't even remember what the question was. It's so long ago. Who is a top Italian goal scorer? In come on. Come on. Give us an answer, for God's sake. Gianfranco Zola. No, he's second. Di Matteo. No. Di Canio. Wow. Paddy Decanio has scored 66. Doesn't seem like uh, Decanio is an option there for Zola scored 59. Is Premier League expert? Mark Martin. of the devil. Tell me what did um, and what did Balotelli score? Uh, what did Balotelli score? Uh, if I scroll down through the list of names, Balotelli is nowhere near that. Obviously, nowhere near that. Actually, yeah. Oh no, sorry. He had 21 goals. He's in sixth place. Sorry, uh, he's behind Graziano Pelle, uh, Fabrizio Ravinelli, Carbone, and Zola make up the rest. Carbone. Of them. Wow. 
Okay, so the next round is the past the parcel of doom round. You know how this works. I've been told that the intro to this round is too long. If you don't know how this works, go back to an old quiz. Um, Jer, you're up first. Uh, these questions are, are also sent are you in welcoming by our, new our listeners board in there? Uh, midterm. It was you who was complaining uh, by our board midterm teacher, uh, Rory Dillon. Uh, thank you, Rory, for basically doing my entire job this week. Jer, can you name GEA, a GEA County ground? Full names, including sponsors... And places. Sorry, full names including sponsors is what I want. Places are not accepted, so you can't give me Thurlis or Cronus. You need full stadium name including sponsor, please. St. Connell's Park, Newbridge. Correct. Uh, next up is Adrian. Um, is, is, is it. Uh, I've honed in on one specifically here, unfortunately. Come <laughs> on, time up. I'm going to go with. Is it. T, time t- up. TEG Cusick Park. D.E.G. Cusick Park is correct. Yeah. Parnell Park. Uh, correct. Oof. I, I mean, are we allowing that? Are yes. we allowing Parnell Park? Yes. Okay, Kingsman Breffney Park. Kingsman Breffney Park is correct. Adrian. Um, has it... Uh, Mikhail Park? What's the sponsor? Alvarez Mikhail Park. No. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, if he just says Mikhail Park, he's wrong. You don't go tell me the sponsor. Oh, yeah, no, but some I... Ca- yeah, some grounds have a sponsor, Elvary's some grounds don't have a sponsor. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Elvary's, Elvary's is wrong anyway. Um, you're, you're out. <laughs> Nathan. Pierce Stadium. Pierce Stadium is correct. Sure. Uh, Cusick Park and Ennis. <laughs> uh, that is correct. Is that not sponsored? No, I don't think oh, so. Well. Not, not according to this list in front of me. Sure. Uh, Nathan. Hyde Park. Hyde Park is correct. Yeah, no sponsor on that. Sure. Um, I'm going to say Netwatch, Dr. Cullen. Is ne- is, is correct. Still Netwatch. Good show. This is a, a, a brave... Um, it's a brave route to send in, I must I must say, uh, Rory, because uh, a lot of double-checking, I'm sure, has gone into these questions. Um, Fitzgerald Stadium. Fitzgerald Stadium is correct. Sure. Uh, did Tipperary just fucking announce a small part me? <laughs> did they just announce a sponsor? I don't know. Did they? Uh, okay, so I'm going to say uh, it is uh, currently it should be Caseman Park, but it's actually Corrigan Park in Belfast. I'll accept that, yeah. Nathan. Simple Stadium. Sample Stadium is correct. Sample has a sponsor. They just announced, they just announced name rights. They just announced they didn't. it. Didn't they? they didn't. I'll, I'll double no. check that, Jerry. You carry on there. They didn't. Uh, I'm going to say Porky Queeve. FPD Insurance secures naming rights for Sample Stadium as a headline. Boom! He's what? out! You out, sucker! What? F- what? FPD, that FPD, all you got? There's actually a photograph here of FPD Sample Stadium. I was I was. Or not. From I've when? Got, ah, it doesn't From matter. When? It doesn't matter. It's been announced. January 2022. Has started, <laughs> but has it started yet? I haven't heard anybody. Look at him trying to defend the yeah, I, I, I will say on the sheet of questions, uh, our listener did well, not include FPD. That's all that matters. No, that's no, all that matters. No, no, no. correctness is, is no, obviously what correctness no, is important. FPD, you need to have a word with somebody. Nobody called him that FPD simple stadium. Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stand up for myself here, Nathan, and I'm going to overrule you on this one. And Jerry gets the point. Good man, Owen. Not changing the rules midstream. There's the. Did we. Did we. Do Kingsman and Breffney Park, did we do that one? 
We did, yeah. Oh, oh sorry, the ones that you didn't get. Omuro Park, O'Connor Park, Glennon Brothers, Pierce Park, Ockram County Ground, Nolan Park, Park Talton, Chadwick's Wexford Park, IT Limerick, Gaelic Grounds, Parky Cueve, Fraher Fields, Park Esler, Brewster Park, McCool Park, Ely Park, Athletic Grounds, Celtic Park, St. Tiernix Park, Hastings McHale Park, Park Sean McDiarmid, Markovich Park. Park, McGovern Park, Royslip, and Gaelic Park. The Athletic Grounds? I said that. And are they sponsored? No. And so, sorry, would you have taken Parky Cueve? That was my next one. It's not Parky Rin. I would have taken Parky Cueve, yeah. Oh, hey, grand. Okay, so I was, I was good to go anyway. Sure, you were at the end of your tether there, Nathan. I certainly was not. I wouldn't have even gone for Simple Stadium when you put it straight in my head and I wanted to oh, make look, you look at like that. an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> not hard. Not hard. Yeah. Adrian Meech. Sorry. That works Sorry, well. They need, to put out a, on the they need to put out a, for you. They need to put out a press release or something about this FPD Simple <laughs> Stadium. Uh, Adrian, can you name a Formula One constructor for 2022? Oh, God. Um, Mercedes. Correct. Nathan. Red Bull. Correct. Sure. Ferrari. Correct. Shit. Adrian. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, what's your man's name? The American guy. <laughs> uh, big chap who's son. Team 33. Come on. Um, In first season one. He's just trying to think back to the opening scene of season one. The rich guy, he's a billionaire, but what is his name? Um, Come on, let's go. Renault. What? Renault. No, they're gone. That's not the name of the team. They're beautiful blue cars, aren't there anymore, Adrian? It's a terrible thing. Nathan. Um, oh, Alpine. Name. Alpine is, that's a new Renault, isn't it? Or, but it's, it's correct anyway. Uh, Jer. Williams. Williams, still there. Nathan. Um... Toro Rosso. No. What? No. <laughs> no, it's not on this Look, list. Look at this. is a bit like uh, FBD Sandal Stadium. What? No, Something has happened. I, I haven't been up there. Sure, the, point, the ones that you didn't get. What were, was your man's name? Crawl. 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 Bottas. Stroll. Bottas is a driver. Stroll. Stroll. I got to look smart after the question is asked, Jerry. Uh, <laughs> what did I got <laughs> to the week? Bottas. 4 0 nil up here. What was your man's name? The American guy. The big American guy. Stroll. Stroll. Would BMW. No. McLaren, Alphatari. Aston Martin, Alfa Romeo and Haas were the ones you didn't get. Haas, yeah. uh, Nathan, lead us off here. Irish Six Nations try scores versus Italy 2011 to 2021. Can you name any? This is a long list. Let's go quickly. Uh, Jesus. Um, 2011. Come on. Yeah, yeah, come on. <laughs> um, Jesus. Rob Kearney. Rob Kearney. Is he there? Uh, what? He's not. I don't think he is. No, Rob Carney, you're out. Sorry, these aren't. I, I didn't put these in alphabetic order, so it might take me a second extra. New control F. Keith Earls. Keith Earls is correct. Um, Robbie Henshaw. Robbie Henshaw is correct. Sure. Brian O'Driscoll. Brian O'Driscoll is correct. Uh, Jamie Heaslip. Jamie Heaslip is correct. Uh, Stockdale. Um, Sexton Rob Carney come on Sexton's correct you have one job I suppose you didn't score a try for about eight years so that's probably affected <laughs> will you shut up sure come on <laughs> uh, oh it's back to me is it? sorry uh, I, I forgot that Nathan was out uh, I am going to say 
I am going to say uh, Conway. Conway is not what? correct. Boom! Hugo Keenan. Hugo Keenan would have been correct. The ones you didn't get. Tom, Tommy Bow, Andrew Trimble, Tom Court, Kean Healy, Fergus McFadden, Sean Cronin, uh, Jack McGrath, Connor Murray, Tommy O'Donnell, CJ Stander, Jared Payne, Ian Madigan, Craig Gilroy, Gary Ringrose, Connor Murray, Bundy Aki, Rory Best, Quinn Rue, Will Connors, Hugo Keenan, Dave Heffernan, which means Adrian gets off the board. We enter into round four, the fun-free magic number round. <coughs> contestants get three points for getting the number exactly right. If no one manages that, the nearest contestant who doesn't go bust gets two points. The second closest gets one point. I'm going to say to McNoney, except the answer that's written on your paper. I'm also going to have to ask for your pens once the music ends. So if you don't mind, give us the following number. The position... Shane Long moved into in Ireland's all-time Premier League top scorers after scoring last weekend. Plus the number of points Mayo defeated Dublin by at the weekend. Plus the number of tries scored versus Italy for Ireland in last year's Six Nations. Plus the age of Dan Sheehan in years. Your 30 seconds expire when Sinatra sings bright shiny beads. So where is Shane Long now in the all-time top Premier League Irish goal scorers after last weekend? How many points did Mayo beat Dublin by? The number of tries Ireland scored against Italy in last year's Six Nations. And what age is Dan Sheehan? Again, another great round sent in by Rory Dillon on Twitter. Sure, he's going to down early, so does Adrian. Well, Adrian's typing up onto his uh, cheat laptop. Nathan? 38. 38, Jerk? 36. 36? I've gone for 32. 32. The answer is 37. Oh! <laughs> Happy days. I changed it last minute. Oh Me too. I, I I rounded down after my experience of last week. Shane Long, my, my numbers add up to 37 and I was like, I bet it's... Wait till you're Nathan now tell you how great he is as he, as he overshot the runway. Shane Long moved into third place. At third. third. Yeah. Mayo defeated Dublin by five points. Yeah. yeah. Ireland scored six tries. Oh, yeah. Oh, and Sheen is 23. 22. I, look, look. I have all the right answers. Ah, look at genius. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Special prize for that. Yeah. Oh, a participant's genius. medal for you, Nathan. Well done. Idiot. Our winner tonight will be decided in the round that separates the men from the boys, the giants from the sleeping giants. It's an old team in particular, ridiculously easy. Rapid fire round. So the, the guy who's last goes first, that's what you said? Exactly. The score you had in this round will be added to your score in the previous round. There will be 40 seconds. Jerk, yeah. what do you reckon? No, not a chance. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was, it was decided at the start that you were you that your last? What? Is your man last? Yeah, is, yeah by a mod. He's got zero points. It's uh, oh, oh wow. Jerry six points. Adrian two points. How many? Nathan, nil. Six. Did you say six? Jerson six. Welcome to the quiz. It started half an hour wow. ago. Well done. Wow. Um, so, Joe, would you like to relinquish top spot and give it to Nathan Murphy? I, I would Jordan? not. No. I've Adrian, would you like to relinquish second spot? I'm, <clears throat> if I finish in second, I'll, I'll bite your hand off for that right now. Okay, Jerry, you ready? I am. Absolutely ready. Your 40 seconds starts now. According to Rory McIlroy, Phil Mickelson's comments in Saudi were naive, selfish, egotistical and arrogant, ignorant or annoying? Arrogant. No, ignorant. How many seasons has Bill Belichick been head coach of the Patriots? 20 or 22? 20. No, 22. Who was the last Dublin manager before Desi Farrell from Nafina, Nathan? Oh, God. Uh, Pillar Caffrey. Yes. Where is Congress taking place this weekend, Ger? Croke Park No the Air Dome Who is the Antrim Senior Hurling Manager Adrian Sean Cassidy No Darren Gleeson <laughs> What Premier League team Does Hugo Keenan Luke McGrath And James Ryan support Nathan uh, Man United Chelsea Who What are called Heffernan's parents Called Sure oh, uh, Marie No Marion oh! <laughs> 
<laughs> Rachel. <laughs> Come on! Give me the questions! Give me the questions! It doesn't matter. You're all Come on! You're all Sky was within shoot distance. You weren't, you weren't. Come you on! What county is Rachel Blackmore from? Uh, Kildare. No, it's a zero. Now you're minus one. Temporary. Not a single answer correct in the rapid fire oh. round. <laughs> Eight incorrect oh, answers. Wow. This was an absolute shambles. Sure, Sorry, the questions it. were a disgrace. Those questions, and even if you're one, like, you can't have multiple choice questions. <laughs> that in the first question. Fire. Sorry, that, that first question. That took, first question was, took eight seconds. I, 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 without exaggeration, I don't mind that <laughs> I've the, finished second the year. I've no problem with that. Question, but I I say, that is the questions. most outrageous question that has ever been included thank you in once again to Rory fire. Dillon on Twitter yep. for sending them in we appreciate your question that was, that was embarrassing uh, rapid fire sure goes to six fire. points fire. Adrian finishes on minus two and Nathan finishes on uh, sorry Adrian's on minus one Nathan finishes on minus two which is uh, an extraordinary a new uh, record result. a new record congratulations oh, minus two Finishing a minus number. Let's see your workings again there for the uh, for yeah, the yeah, tackle up round. I'm the only one who got them all right. Oh yeah, you know, apart from obviously one of them. This. Participation. Congratulations, Jer. Uh, congratulations. Uh, OTBAM has been brought to you uh, every morning this week by Gillette. Those are shambles. Good morning. Start only with Gillette. Here, don't send in any more questions. <laughs> oh yeah, keep sending, keep sending in the questions. We love them. Uh, your best face forward. Question. Your That's new and improved razors. Uh, we'll be Never back Monday morning on half <laughs> seven. OTB. With Gillette, put your best face forward with our new and improved razors.